What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Using free speech to free minds. You're listening to The David Knight Show. As the clock strikes 13, it's Thursday, the 29th of September, year of our Lord 2022. Day 929 of a never-ending emergency. Today we're going to look at, uh, of course, more speculation about what happened with the pipeline. Was this a direct attack, as uh, Tucker Carlson is, uh, seems to be convinced of? Is this a direct attack by uh, America uh, against Russia? There are other scenarios that people have suggested. We're going to take a look at those. We're also going to take a look at some interesting updates about uh, EV trucks, about drone deliveries, about the rollout of You Own Nothing, the uh, Davos dystopia. That's right on schedule. And uh, we're going to have some very interesting interviews. We're going to have Ted Bear, a uh, movie uh, guideline. He's going to be uh, movie guide, not guideline, movie guide. He's going to be a family uh, video uh, Christian reviews. He's going to be joining us in the third hour. Of course, Tony is going to be here with us today. We've got a lot to cover. We'll be right back. Stay with us. So many of you know so much about this as well, and you're committed. And I want to thank all of you here for in- including bipartisan elected officials like Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative Jackie. Are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was, she was going to be here to help make this. Yeah, Jackie, are you here? Jackie, are you here? Uh, he had uh, forgotten evidently who he was uh, talking to. She died in a car accident a few months ago. Uh, Jackie, are you here? Uh, Jackie, Jackie, uh, I thought she was going to be here to help. Uh, that would have been, yeah, he's making, he says to help make it a reality. Yeah, that'd be making it real, wouldn't it? Uh, I don't know what reality this guy is in. Uh, he forgot, uh, about Jackie, uh, Walorski's death. Uh, 
And so uh, as uh, people started looking at this and saying, is this, um, he was having at least one or two of these moments every day. Uh, <laughs> Zero Edge pointed out, they're not sending us their best people. Uh, so you had some people questioning White House spokesperson on this, and she just flat out lied. Uh, here is her response. It's a couple of days. One final one. Sure. What happened in the hunger event today? The president appeared to look around the room uh, for an audience member, a member of Congress who passed away last month. He seemed to indicate she might be in the room. Look, so, what happened there? so the president was, uh, as you all know, you guys were watching uh, today's event, a very important event on uh, food insecurity. The president was naming uh, the congressional champions on this issue and was acknowledging her incredible work. He had uh, he had already uh, planned to welcome the congresswoman's family uh, to the White House on Friday. There will yeah, that's what he's thinking about her family signing in her honor sure. this coming Friday. Uh, so of course she was on his mind. She was of top of mind uh, for the president. He uh, looks very much looks forward to discussing her remarkable legacy of public service with them when he sees her family this coming Friday. He said, "Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? She must not be here." No, I totally understand. I just I just explained she was on top of mind. Uh, yeah, that's what they uh, told me to say. Top know, of mind. This was an, what we were able to <laughs> witness today, and what the president was able to lift up uh, in this uh, at this conference at this event uh, was how her uh, her focus on um, wanting to. Uh, uh, deal with, combat food insecurity in America. And this is something that he was lifting up and honoring. And again, he knows that he's going to see her family this coming Friday. There's a bill signing uh, that's going to happen. Well, you get the idea. Right. She's just uh, clinic in, in Indiana. Uh, repeatedly dodging the question and uh, lying about it because we could all see what was happening. He really thought Jackie was there or going to be there. I mean, you know, what's going on? Um, so. Uh, this is the, the state of uh, the Biden administration, and um, it, it's not just that he is uh, exhibiting uh, extreme signs of senility each day, and we know that the other people are running the administration. It's just that I guess the advantage is, is that with Biden, you understand that he's a puppet, right? With all the other administrations, you think Trump and these other people are actually in charge. They've got their own agenda. They're looking out for themselves. But they're figureheads, just like uh, you know, Queen Elizabeth or something. Uh, but um, you know, they uh, can be evil on their own uh, right. Uh, of course, not, it's not to say that they're completely innocent. Uh, but they're just being there. They're just figureheads that are there. So that's Queen Jean Pierre, and uh, she was also asked to discuss why the occupation with renaming the Atlanta Braves. Now, the White House is very interested in doing that. Uh, Twitter roasted uh, White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre for suggesting that conversations about rebranding the Atlanta Braves are important to have, very important to have. With everything else, you know, we're, uh, they, they keep sending uh, weapons and escalating the war in Ukraine. Perhaps we had uh, direct sabotage by NATO or people working with or for NATO. Uh, but, you know, we should be worried about the name of the baseball team. Suggest... Uh, uh, that they maybe uh, get their priorities in order. But, of course, their priority is to get elected. And if they want to get elected, they don't want to talk about what they're doing. And that's what uh, Saki, the, the previous uh, press secretary, said. Um, she understands that if it's about the economy, if it's about war, if it's about energy, if it's about any issue, and if it's about uh, 
Biden himself, then they lose. So they want to make it about anything they can. So they make it about the Atlanta Braves. Uh, we believe, she said, it's important to have this conversation and Native American and indigenous voices should be at the center of this. Well, they had uh, a lot of people trolling them, of course, on Twitter as uh, a couple of uh, people. John uh, Cardillo said, yeah, yeah, that's what Americans who are watching their 401ks tank really care about. Another one, another host of a TV show, uh, Jerry Gallahan, or maybe he's, uh, I don't know if he's got a TV show or if he's got a, a podcast, what he says, yeah, every time I look at my disappearing 401k, I think, well, we really need to do something about the name of a baseball team in Atlanta. But um, again, it is uh, money is the and the economy is what most people are looking at. Uh, I'm also looking at the underlying things that they're going to do to make slaves out of us, the programs that they're doing to kill us, to kill our children. Depopulation, population control, that should be on the menu. But of course, people are more focused on the immediate things. And they're trying to get you more focused even on sports as a distraction. Richard Sneed, principal chief of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians, said, I'm not offended by somebody waving their arms at a sports game doing the tomahawk chop or something. He says, I'm just not. If somebody else is, that's their prerogative and it's their right to get offended. You know, they can be offended. <laughs> he says, I don't know, very many, maybe one or two from my tribe who say, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> They've got other things to worry about. They're worried about their 401ks as well in the Cherokee tribe. <laughs> and they're also worried that we're not going to keep us out of a nuclear war. Uh, I suggest, though, that um, if they want to get serious about it, you remember, maybe you don't, I think it was back in the 1990s when this stuff first started coming up. And they had uh, an Indian activist. And he said, let's see how white people like it if we make mascots out of them. And so he made a bunch of merchandise. See if you can find it. The Fighting Whiteys. Remember that? It was like a 1950s guy in a suit with slicked back hair and he's got a pipe. And it was the Fighting Whiteys. And uh, he, start, he made a ton of money selling merchandise of the Fighting Whiteys because uh, white people liked that. And, and the Seminoles in Florida. Oh, there you go. Fighting Whiteys. <laughs> and uh, the... Uh, uh, the Seminoles in Florida said, yeah, don't change the uh, FSU mascot. We like that. So the, the white people like the fighting whiteys and the Seminoles in Florida like the Seminole mascot. Uh, maybe they could just make a mascot and call it the wasp. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, it kind of, at first he was, he was surprised and it kind of caught him by surprise that people liked it. Uh, and then he made a lot of money off of it. So there you go. Uh, Biden is, uh, of course, the student loan thing, as I've talked about many times, based on his uh, usurped declaration, based on the emergency uh, executive order that's 929 days old today, uh, Biden is making good use of the precedents that were set in by Trump. In many ways, we're going to talk about gun control as well and what is happening with that. Uh, you know, we, we began in gun control with uh, President Trump doing it himself and doing it through just letting the ATF do gun control, right? And how did they do it? Well, kind of the same way that Anthony Fascist uh, did a lot of the vaccine stuff. They just redefined things. I'm going to redefine immunity. We're going to redefine vaccines. We're going to redefine firearms. 
And we redefine these things in the bureaucracy, and then we create a rule based around the redefinition. And guess what? We can do anything we want, especially if we piggyback it on top of a, an executive order from the president. And so we have a government that is truly out of control. If we don't understand the mechanisms and the foundations of this new government that they've rolled out, they've silently erased the Constitution. You know, I, I see that uh, Maggie Haberman's book, I think it dropped uh, today or yesterday. You know, it came out, they gave some promos of it a few months ago, and uh, they were talking about the fact, yeah, I think, you know, Trump was destroying a bunch of um, um, secret documents. He had a habit of uh, reading stuff on the toilet and flushing it down the toilet. And look, we got pictures of stuff down there claiming that it was, um, you know, incriminating evidence or something. Like that. They had no evidence that it was incriminating. And of course, um, uh, you know, it, it kind of blew up in her face because they, they jumped the shark on that. But uh, she's got some uh, statements from him that are, uh, that are pretty incriminating. And I imagine the direct statements rather than the implications and uh, you know, the direct statements uh, from Trump as to, you know, whether he would do it again. Oh, yeah, I'd love to do it again. I know a lot of billionaires and nobody knows who they are. Now everybody knows who I am. That's great. You know, I love being famous. Uh, and because uh, that's what it was all about. It was all about him. It was all about his narcissist journey. <laughs> it was just about him and his money. Anyway, um, his money and his fame. But, uh, you know, she, I, I think, uh, when we look at uh, the Trump administration, I think there was a lot of stuff that was being flushed down the toilet. You know, they didn't empty the swamp. Instead, what he used, he used the Constitution as toilet paper. It wasn't, you know, secrets uh, that were being flushed down there. It was a Constitution after he had ripped it up and used it as toilet paper. So um, this uh, ongoing executive order. Now we have a lawsuit coming from the Pacific Legal Foundation. And, um, they said, uh, in talking about it, an attorney for the Pacific legal foundation told reason magazine, this isn't how laws are supposed to be made. Well, if you're the legal, <laughs> if you're a legal foundation, you better understand this ain't a law. That's not a law. It's an executive order. Uh, let's understand what the terms are here so that we can address the problem. It's not a law, but what he's saying is, is that this should have been a law. Uh, because uh, although they don't put a fine point on it, uh, you know, he says only Congress has the power to pass laws and to spend money under the Constitution. The administration's actions here are flagrantly illegal. I'm glad that they're going to challenge it. I mean, it's the only thing that people outside of the Congress can do. Really, all of these Republicans who are asleep at the wheel, all these Republicans who are making a commitment to America, they have no commitment to America. Uh, not if they're going to allow this new legal system where the bureaucracy makes the rules where the bureaucracy redefines terms and where the president issues executive orders to give himself unlimited power. If they allow those things to exist, there is no commitment to America. There's no commitment to the constitution, you know, and they were very successfully did that with uh, Newt Gingrich. He had the 10 points. It was a contract with America. Um, uh, I stood for Congress, didn't really run. I stood for Congress. I was in a couple of, you know, uh, did some interviews and was in a debate and things like that. But um, for my campaign literature, I said the Bill of Rights is my contract with America. It's got 10 points, just like Newt Gingrich's thing ten, two years ago. Can we all get around that? 
<laughs> it's much better than uh, all of those points. <laughs> all 10 of those points are much better than any of the points in Newt Gingrich's contract with America, but nobody cared. Nobody cared about the Constitution. Nobody cares about the Bill of Rights. It's not a, a winning issue. Uh, but you need to understand how your, your country is being subverted under this color of law that's being done. And um, the Republicans don't have any commitment to America because they don't have any commitment to the Constitution that they swore to uphold, the Constitution that's the basis for their authority. They've got no commitment whatsoever. Anyway, the lawsuit's plaintiff is Frank Garrison, who's also an attorney at PLF. Garrison borrowed federal student loans to pay for a law school uh, education, but according to him, Biden's debt forgiveness plan will actually subject him to a financial penalty in the form of a state tax. This gives him standing to sue the U.S. Education Department, uh, argues his lawsuit. Garrison is already receiving debt relief under a different program, the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. Uh, it is a federal program for borrowers who work in public service at nonprofit organizations. If you're a qualifying bar uh, borrower, you can make a certain number of payments, you meet maximum income requirements, and you can have your debts forgiven. And so he expects to have all this, qualify for all this in about four years. Importantly, deaf relief under this program is not subject to state taxes, but he lives in Indiana, and the state of Indiana is going to subject these new benefits uh, just given out by executive order by Biden. They're going to subject that to taxes. So it says Garrison will be stuck with a bill that makes him financially worse off than if he were to continue with his repayment program under PSLF. He did not ask for the cancellation. He does not want the cancellation. And he has no way to opt out of it. And it's going to cost him more money than if he could use the existing program. because He's going to have to pay taxes on everything that's forgiven. Uh, the administration claims that it has the power to unilaterally forgive student loan debts without consulting Congress. Uh, that's the way that reason states it. Here, I think, is a better way to understand this. We just had Joe Biden using an executive order that was based on Trump's ongoing, forever, permanent emergency executive order. So he stacked his executive order on Trump's executive order. And on the basis of that, he claims that he can by fiat, create a massive entitlement program that's going to cost anywhere from a half to a trillion dollars. Who knows where it's going to end? Who knows what the grand total is going to be? Who knows how long it's going to go on? I think it's going to be closer to a trillion. We've seen estimates as low as 300 million. But even if it were only 300 million, how do you get to create an entitlement program just by fiat, by speaking it into existence as the president? You don't even have any debate on this? No vote in Congress? Uh, the law gave the president some authority to cancel or delay student loan repayments. That law was the HEROES Act of 2003, which was focused on people who were involved in uh, the aftermath of 9-11 uh, and helping them with their educational loans, saying that that was an emergency. So they said uh, it, it said that they could cancel or delay student loan repayments during national emergencies with clear intention of offering relief to borrowers who were serving in combat operations uh, in the uh, wars after 9-11. And so uh, they said, well, he's, um, 
He's playing with the term national emergency. Everybody is. Everybody is. And this is just one aspect. Hopefully, it'll wake some people up. Uh, and, and the thing that I thought was amazing was it sat there for about three weeks after I talked about it at the very beginning. I said, did you see what he's doing here? He's creating a new entitlement program by executive order. The Republicans knew exactly what's going on. You have all of these Republican congressmen and senators after Biden came out and said, well, the pandemic's over. They said, well, all right, then you've lost your ability to do this student loan thing. But as long as they're going to keep up the appearances of saying that a pandemic is going, then they don't have any problem with uh, Biden just creating entitlement programs by executive order. That's where the Republicans are. And now, even though they know that, even though they've come out public and say, oh, well, you know, he's, they know that he's basing the student loan program on the emergency, but they're not going to say anything about it in their commitment to America, are they? That will take away this uh, bogus emergency. They know the emergency is bogus. That's the big issue. Whether or not, you know, Biden knows that there's no pandemic. The Republicans know there's no pandemic. And quite frankly, I think they knew all along that there was no pandemic ever, ever. They played along with Trump and the rest of this stuff. Well, there's an article on Free Thought Project saying the largest armed robbery in history is the FBI robs 1,400 safety deposit boxes of $86 million. Another case of civil asset forfeiture. Remember we had that corrupt sheriff's department in San Bernardino where they were pulling over an armored car under the pretense that, well, you picked up some cash from a marijuana dispensary, which is legal under state law. But they said, yeah, but the federal government doesn't recognize that. And the federal government says that uh, I can confiscate your cash and I can keep 80% of it. So they literally robbed an armored car. Well, here's the FBI, and this is a, a case that I reported on before. Uh, this has been going on for a while. And, uh, and it just keeps getting worse with the FBI. They went into a mailbox place. It was in Beverly Hills. And under bogus excuses, as a Free Thought Project points out, the FBI raided about 1,400 safety deposit boxes at a single location in Beverly Hills. They made random and apparently unsubstantiated accusations that U.S. Private Vaults, that's the name of the company, that their location in Beverly Hills was aiding criminal activity. The business was indicted in February 2020 on claims that it had marketed itself to criminals to help them to launder money and to dodge government detection. But no one was ever charged. And the claims are bogus. Now you've got taxpayers are going to um, be held liable as there's a massive lawsuit. FBI officials marched into uh, U.S. private vaults in March of 2021, executed their plan. Uh, those same FBI officials ignored the seizure warrant's command that it, quote, does not authorize, they said this warrant does not authorize a criminal search or seizure of the contents of the safety deposit boxes, end of quote. But they did it anyway. Under the warrant, uh, the agents were told to, quote, respect the contents of the boxes, unquote, not to search for potential violations of law, but simply to, quote, identify their owners in order to notify them so that they can come claim their property. In other words, the, uh, the, the claim was this company here that's in Beverly Hills, they're advertising to people who are criminals. And so the warrant said, well, you can go in here, but you can't go on a fishing expedition. 
And you need to open up these boxes only so that you can tell people to come get their stuff. But you're after the company, not after the people who put stuff in these private safety deposit boxes. But they didn't pay attention to the warrant. They don't pay any attention to the law. They don't pay any attention to the Constitution. The FBI is a completely rogue agency and has been from its creation. They put them under a rogue criminal. J. Edgar Hoover, do your research. This guy's been... (laughs) One of the biggest crooks in American history, blackmailing everybody in Washington. We've had uh, uh, presidents of both parties talking about his blackmail operations of politicians, you know, from Truman to Nixon and others. Uh, Anyway, uh, despite his promises to the court, the FBI created custom forms that asked the agents to look for information the government could use in pursuing forfeiture. One document asks agents to, quote, note things such as how the cash is bundled, if it's got a strong odor, or if there appears to be a drug residue. So um, they went in. They've now confiscated $80 million in cash, tens of millions more in gold, silver, jewelry, other valuables. Uh, The FBI confiscated, or rather robbed, people like Joseph Ruiz as well, stealing his entire life savings. The FBI falsely claimed that Ruiz, who is a chef, made the $57,000 they stole from him, uh, they said he made that dealing drugs. Why? Well, because they took a stack of the cash and they put it in front of one of the dogs and he wagged his tail. He alerted to it. Well, we all know that um, 90% of paper money in the U.S. contains trace amounts of cocaine. And if you've got a large amount of it, you're going to alert a dog who's been trained to smell for that. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, or Ninth Circuit Court has ruled that um, government does not have a probable cause to seize cash from individuals based on the drug detection of a dog, stating specifically the majority of money in circulation has drugs on it. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals agrees with it. We all know that. I mean, it's been proven. Nevertheless, whether you're talking about court president, precedents, or you're talking about the law, or you're talking about warrants, or you're talking about ethics, none of those apply to the FBI. They do what they wish. Uh, (laughs) That means anything to them. Uh, So you've got about 800 people who have uh, lost $86 million in cash, jewelry, and precious metals. Uh, 65 of them have filed suit. One person uh, that we talked about there, Ruiz, the chef, said it was a complete violation of my privacy. And then to cover up their lawless acts, the FBI began to slander his character. So um, the FBI has got pending charges against 11 box holders in order to justify the forfeitures. But in several other cases, court records show the government's rationale for claiming the money and the property it seized was tied to crime is no stronger than it was against Ruiz. Oh, so yeah, we pick your stuff because you know it smells like drugs they'll look at things like whether it's wrapped in rubber bands or something like that or whether it's alerted by a dog to indicate that this is yet another example civil asset forfeiture right you violated rules not laws rules not laws rules made by the bureaucracy because congress doesn't want to do anything other than uh launder money for people and hand out special favors congress is so unbelievably corrupt They won't do anything to pull this back. They won't do their job in terms of even doing laws. It's just such a scam. It's unbelievable. 
Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about drones inside of prisons. What is that about? And we'll talk about Amazon and how they want to put little roaming robots inside of your home. Uh, and what the purpose, what's behind that ultimately as well. Uh, Angus Mustang, thank you very much for the tip. That's very generous. I appreciate that. Um, on Rockfin, he says, uh, thank you for the work you do to put together consistently excellent shows. Well, that's really kind in uh, so many ways. Thank you. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Angus, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com Does Nevada want to use drones inside of prisons? Well, good question. Uh, their answer is that um, <clears throat> they uh, can't hire enough people. Everybody is saying that. Uh, you, you've got uh, General Motors uh, said, we want people to come back to work. <laughs> they say, no, we don't want to. <laughs> we want to stay home. We want to work from home. Oh, uh, okay. All right. So now they're going to, because uh, it, it's so difficult to find anybody who work. As a matter of fact, uh, Ford can't get cars out of the factory because the <laughs> <laughs> because of supply chain issues, the people who make the names for the different vehicles that they stick on the car, the people who make the blue oval that says Ford can't get that to them. And then there's a whole bunch of other things that they can't get as well. So they can get, uh, you know, some of it done, but they can't get all of it done. 
the supply chain disruptions, the employment disruptions, where does that all go back to? It goes back to the emergency, to the phony pandemic, to the phony lockdowns, to people being told they're not essential. And now they really have uh, uh, created a fundamental issue as people get used to just collecting money from the government. It didn't take very long for people to get used to universal basic income, did it? Uh, the great, as I said before, people question why I call him Benedict Donald. Well, because he was out there pretending that he was against everything the globalists wanted, and yet he enacted all of the great reasons. Getting people accustomed to uh, you know, a universal basic income, uh, getting people accustomed to staying home, uh, getting people accustomed to having nothing. And uh, then, of course, the depopulation agenda, every single aspect of that. You're not essential. Let's get rid of the small and middle class uh, businesses. Let's get rid of Main Street. Let's focus on the big Wall Street companies. They're essential. Let's give them money, all the rest of it. And that's really what happened with the payroll protection plan. You know, they, he and Mnuchin, the Goldman Sachs maker that he put in, channeled all the money to the big guys, the bigs as uh, Gerald Slinty calls them. Uh, so Nevada wants to use drones inside prisons because prison staffing has gotten so difficult. And um, uh, in Nevada, prison officials imagine a security system with a central command center where one person can monitor the live video feeds and the decibel levels inside the housing units and the outdoor areas at facilities throughout the state. Uh, this is what they want to do to each and every one of us. right? It's not just that they're reacting to a problem that they created with the lockdown. But this is what they want for future lockdowns. This is the big brother pandemic, or not pandemic, the big brother panopticon, uh, which they want for future quote unquote pandemics that are political. Of course, the platform is called overwatch. Oh, that's, that's good. Uh, why not call it overwatch for your overlords and the overlord wannabes. It'll allow prisoners to fill in the blanks where we don't have enough uh, prisons, rather, to fill in the blanks where we don't have enough staff. It's a surveillance plan that's being pursued in Nevada after prison officials traveled to a police department in Arizona that's utilizing this on a smaller scale. Officials could not provide any cost estimates, but who cares, right? We have unlimited amounts of money, just you know, don't even have to print it anymore. You just add the numbers on your computer. Uh, you're building a house without knowing what the house is going to look like yet, said one person, uh, talking about the money side of it. And uh, then they replied and said, well, uh, we know that we're gonna, not going to get the staffing back. It's a national trend. It's a trend inside the industry. What industry is that? The private prison industry. Another thing like civil asset forfeiture that was brought to you uh, by... Uh, well-meaning, but uh, idiotic idea that you're going to get people off of drugs by using the police and prisons. If you can die of an overdose in prison, what kind of a society are you going to have to create outside in order to try to stop drug abuse? Well, it'll give you the uh, carte blanche. It'll write a blank check for you to do anything. And actually anything that is even beyond what we currently have in prisons. And so when we look at what is going on in the prisons, it's a harbinger of what they want to do to society in general. They do it first in the prisons, then they do it in the schools, and they do it to society. Lockdown, lockdown, lockdown. Or surveillance, surveillance, surveillance. Metal detectors, drones, and all the rest of the stuff. 
seems to be a progression, doesn't it? It's a national trend. It's an industry trend. And we just know that we will not be able to plug in staff and positions. So as they are taking us down financially, um, you can look at the uh, mortgage rates have shot up over 7% for the first time in 22 years. Uh, the 30-year U.S. mortgage uh, rate went over just over 7%. But even more importantly, uh, it's gone up faster than we've ever seen it. It is going straight up, straight up. If you look at the chart, pull it down, then you can show people what the chart looks like. The fastest increase in mortgage rates in history took place in uh, just uh, a month or so as they continue to signal that they're going to do even look at that at the side. Um, that's not the axis on the right-hand side. That's the, <laughs> it's almost vertical, uh, but it's got a little bit of jagginess there. So, you know, that's part of the chart, but it's going straight up just like the axis. Uh, this is worse than the imagined hockey stick uh, for climate warming, that uh, uh, global warming that Al Gore was trying to sell everybody, which that was absolute nonsense. This is for real. Uh, the median American household, we need to spend 4.5% of their income to afford payments on a median-priced home in the U.S., uh, the highest percentage on record with data going back to 2006. Uh, but they said um, in the U.K., this might be the reason that the Bank of England panicked. They looked at uh, U.K. mortgages, and uh, somebody looked at it in detail, and they said, you know, a quarter, 26%, but a quarter of all the home mortgages in the UK are variable rate. Whoa, what are these people thinking? I mean, everybody knew that we had historical, historically low uh, rates. Interest rates were depressed. And uh, I mean, you're not going to save that much uh, when interest rates were down around 3% or whatever for or less at some point in time, you know, when a lot of these people got in, if 26% of them got it, uh, they were 3% or lower. And um, you're not going to get it much cheaper, even if you went on a variable loan with it being that cheap, but you took a lot of risk on, and now that risk has become real because these rates are going to go straight up. Uh, so the ratio of UK mortgage payments to take home pay is uh, what is really uh, looking bad, uh, much worse than it is in the U.S., of course. Um, they suggested in August that 26% of total outstanding U.K. mortgages are variable rate, thus dependent on where the Bank of England's bank rate is. It's currently 2.25%, but markets are now pricing uh, the terminal rate above 6%, and uh, it's going to go quite a bit higher. Uh, these are all at, at risk of imminent increases, 37% at risk over the next two years if rates don't rapidly fall. 37% can ride out the storm for a few more years, but uh, it's going to be very painful. Uh, and it's not just in Western societies. Everybody is feeling the economic pain globally. There's a lot of unrest that is happening. Uh, what is happening in Iran, piggybacking on their resentment of this authoritarian, totalitarian, uh, religious theocracy that they imposed and a blowback against the CIA puppet that we imposed back in the 1950s. Uh, so, I mean, they just 
got whipshod from one <laughs> one bad government to the other. And um, so <clears throat> with the death of that young girl by the morality police, you have had a lot of uh, crackdowns, a lot of riots, and they're concerned. And so their way that they are, they're concerned that nobody see any more of this. They're trying to tamp it down. Well, how do they do that? They had in the past when they had massive riots in, in Iran, they just sh shut off the internet. But that was bad for them. It disrupted their infrastructure. It was bad PR for them outside. So they've come up with a new strategy, which we should take a look at because um, our tyrants are going to be looking at it and learning from it. What they decided they would do is just to throttle the bandwidth on their internet so that people couldn't upload videos. It's another step uh, beyond the censorship of um, uh, YouTube and social media. The restrictions still fall short of the total shutdown that we saw in November 2019 when a crackdown on less than a week of protest, according to Amnesty International, uh, left at least 321 people dead in 2019. The authorities seem to have learned how dangerous a total shutdown of the internet is for their economy and for public relations. So they said 12 days after the beginning of the protest, the internet network is still down daily throughout the country. Uh, but for the most part, uh, it is uh, the speed issue that they're looking at. Uh, so uh, this is a pattern that will be repeated here as well. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about second amendment news uh, because we have uh, uh, again, some more examples of our new structure of government, uh, thanks to a uh, supine Congress and an energetic. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Executive. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Show. Well, we have uh, ATF Director Dettelbach, <laughs> uh, Steve Dettelbach, 
uh, had an interview with CBS uh, affiliate, and in the interview, they were trying to um, you know probe him about some of the new gun control measures that have been unilaterally put in place by the ATF. Uh, they said, um, uh, this is a CBS affiliate in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He says, if, um, this is an article from, uh, bearing arms. And they said, if you're hoping to learn some specifics about the agency's warrantless visits to gun owners, homes, or even details about new rules regarding ghost guns, well, you're going to be disappointed, but we did find out something about, um, this director and about the ATF that is very important. Of course, they did not ask them. Any questions about the uh, attacks on uh, the Biden administration's attacks on gun stores, uh, completely shutting the stores down over a minor technical paperwork violation where in the past they would have gotten a fine. Even people inside the BATF have blown the whistle on that. So this appears to be a, uh, a program by the Biden administration just to shut down all video stores. We'll take away their federal firearms license <clears throat> if they have any kind of mistake any kind of, no matter how minor, uh, some of this paperwork. So uh, first they talked about ghost guns. And um, uh, CBS uh, said, uh, well, self-assembled uh, firearms detractors called them ghost guns until two weeks ago. They were defined as firearms. They weren't defined as firearms at all, rather. But uh, Dettelbach says that they're every bit as lethal. They notice that they weren't firearms, and now they are firearms. Just like, you know, the mRNA stuff was not considered to be a vaccine until they changed it back in September 2019. Buried it inside of a, uh, uh, an appropriations bill. Very obscure technical language. Buried deep inside a, a bill that had nothing to do with that. Uh, it was all laid out. It was all a plan. They knew exactly what they were going to do. And in so many different ways, but this is how they operate. We'll change the definition of a vaccine. We'll change the definition of immunity. We'll change the definition of an emergency use authorization or whatever, you know, to, uh, to get this stuff through. In recent years, hundreds of thousands of gun part kits, said uh, Dettelbach, were sold online for buyers or assemblers at home. But unlike regular guns, they did not have serial numbers and buyers were not subject to background checks, earning them the nickname of ghost guns. Now, what he's talking about for the most part here are people who buy an 80% lower uh, receiver and, and then um, you know, build it out in a custom manner themselves. But the uh, real ghost gun is going to be the fact that um, you don't have to buy any parts from anybody. You can print everything. You can even print your ammunition uh, with a, a 3D printer. That's their real issue. Uh, so he said, um, so the interviewer said, well, are ghost guns now illegal in the United States? And listen to this double speak from the ATF director, Dettelbach. He said, well, so as we sit here today, the law on privately made firearms is the law. The law is the law. No, well, that's nice, except it's not even the law. It's their rule. So they pick up on that on the Barry Arms. They say, well, yeah, <laughs> it's just uh, obfuscating here. You know, the law is the law. Well, that's <laughs> okay. What is the law? You want to talk about what the law is? No, he doesn't want to talk about what the law is because he doesn't want anybody, including the people who are supporting the Second Amendment, to understand that he's writing the laws now. 
thanks to Trump. Thanks to Trump. Because, um, you know, now uh, they have defined what firearms are. They redefined what they are so they can re-regulate it. And that's exactly how this all happened. Remember, it was Trump who said to the ATF, let's redefine bump stocks, which the Obama administration said explicitly they had no problems with. So Trump said, let's redefine bump stocks as an automatic weapon. Okay, so now bump stocks make your gun an automatic weapon. And therefore, automatic weapons are banned. Therefore, your bump stock is banned. Uh, so if you're going to go down that role, if you're going to have the ATF rewriting definitions, writing rules and have the same effect as law, if you're going to have the president say, you know, I would like for this to happen, uh, come up with some kind of legal prevarication to make it happen. Uh, if that's the path that we're going to go, and that's the path that was set up by President Trump, uh, and now we've had Pre President Biden has taken the precedent from Trump, and he's done this twice. You know, one of them is, um, well, he got a brace. Okay, well, that's a, that's a brace for a lot of people that were using that. They were uh, injured veterans. It was a pistol brace uh, that would attach to the gun and attach to the arm. And so now Biden says, that's a sawed-off shotgun or whatever, right? Uh, so um, uh, that, that is a rifle that's got too short of a barrel or whatever the prevarication was. So therefore, it's now banned because I've just redefined it. Um, so uh, anyway, the, um, he goes on to say, well, as we said here, the law on privately made firearms is the law. But individuals who are producing things that are now defined as firearms or were before need to both run a background check and have serial numbers on those firearms. So what he's saying is we have now defined them as firearms, just as they defined a pistol brace attached to a pistol as some kind of a rifle as they defined uh, bump stock as being a, um, a fully automatic rifle. Uh, you know, the people like Alex who told you that Trump was playing 4D chess on this stuff. <laughs> uh, it, it was pretty clear what was going to happen, and it didn't take very long. I said, you know, the Democrats are going to use this to enact every kind of gun control. And within a couple of months, you had La La Harris when she was still running for president, and getting less than 1% of the vote. She said, when I'm elected president, I will give Congress 100 days to pass a long list of gun control items that I want, and if they don't do it, I'll do it by executive order. I said, see, didn't take long, did it? Just a couple of months for them to realize the full potential. We had a Republican president who the MAGA cult still thinks is a defender of the Second Amendment, who undermined it more than any other president ever, ever, by this approach by giving carte blanche to the ATF to redefine it. Just like the IRS is constantly redefining things, constantly writing rules and regulations, a law unto themselves, now the ATF is going to be given those same types of powers. And it will be very confusing, and purposely so, just like the income tax regulations. That's what Bearing Arms was complaining about. They said the law is the law, but what exactly is the law? You know, what is it? Uh, the new ATF rule, they said, requires companies that produce do-it-yourself gun-making kits 
that contain unfinished frames or receivers to serialize that uncompleted component. Confusingly, though, the agency has been telling companies that produce these parts that as long as they're sold separately and not as part of a kit, then they can still be sold unserialized and without background checks, something the gun control lobby is already trying to change. But it's also a bit of a trap, isn't it? Because now what happens if um, your customer orders these parts from you individually? Well, you may be able to catch it if they do it in one order. But what if they order one piece now and then they wait a couple of weeks and order another piece and another piece after that? What do you think the ATF is going to do? The ATF will go back and look at your records and they'll say, well, uh, you violated all this and we're going to shut you down for that one violation. Uh, they'll probably come after the, uh, the purchaser as well, but uh, that's really the goal. It's entrapment. One of the reasons that you have such a complicated tax code and one of the reasons that they're creating vague, uh, confusing laws is to entrap people. A law that is sufficiently complex is the same as having no law at all. That's really an operating principle for the income tax. Because then these individuals that you interact with can just do whatever they wish. So he said on public radio program Marketplace, they tried to make the case that the companies who are continuing to sell unfinished frames and receivers are somehow exploiting a loophole. Even though the ATF itself has said that the regulations that took effect last month only apply to unserialized parts, kits, and not to the 80% complete frames and receivers sold alone and separately. Dealers, after the rule went into effect, simply broke up the kits and sold each piece individually. And now they're back in business again. So they're going to keep coming. And the legal prevarications are ridiculous enough. Most people don't understand them. What people do understand is um, that Biden is making up his allegations just as others have. You know, we saw retired General McChrystal from Afghanistan. They trotted him out a few years ago to whine and complain about the velocity of the bullets coming out of the AR-15, and it was total hoax. And now Biden is still doing that kind of stuff. Uh, Biden said this, he said, the bullet out of an AR-15 travels five times as rapidly as a bullet shot out of any other gun. Oh, really? Well, let's fact check him on that. A field and stream study on the five fastest rifle cartridges. Uh, here's some examples. They had a 22 Swift, a 40 grain round that moves at about 4,300 feet per second. Uh, and then this is the one I really liked at 4,600 feet per second. Listen to the name of this. It's the 22 Irgesplitten Loudenboomer. <laughs> the Irgesplitten Loudenboomer. These people deserve a <laughs> deserve your business just for their sense of humor. Um, that goes at 4,600 feet per second. So they're saying, uh, look, if you wanted to um, have an AR bullet, it's going to be five times faster. It would travel four miles in a second. <laughs> uh, and it would be going 14,000 miles per hour. I don't know. You might even be able to get escape velocity. You might be able to hit the Elon Musk satellites with it, right? Uh, that'll be the next thing Biden will be complaining about. 
Jonathan Turley pointed out, he said, um, conservative and gun rights publications have repeatedly shot down that claim, uh, but it doesn't seem to have any impact. He keeps uh, using it. He said, those false statements can be dismissed as just another gaffe or another corn pop story, but they refer to the factual foundation for gun control under the Second Amendment, since Biden is suggesting that such facts are material to a ban, you need to have accuracy in such details. Well, of course, they're not material. They're absolutely immaterial. But he's made other ludicrous claims as well, you know, about uh, the effects of bullets on bodies. He's also claimed that a 22 caliber bullet will lodge in the lung. But you could probably get it out, and you might be able to save the life, but a 9mm bullet, that's just going to blow the lungs out of your body. It's, it's just absolute nonsense. But here's something else to uh, pay attention to. What is going on in Canada? Well, <clears throat> what is going on in Canada doesn't stay in Canada, of course. Uh, but in one Canadian province, Justin Trudeau wants to begin massive gun confiscation. Uh, the conservative, and I, I use that term advisedly now because we saw Alberta as one of the worst places in terms of lockdown persecution of churches, the conservative area. Uh, maybe it's because it's the only place where they had any con uh, churches. I don't know. <laughs> maybe the more liberal ones, they didn't have any churches. But it was pretty bad. So it's, uh, you know, conservative of what? What are they trying to conserve? But the uh, Alberta justice minister, uh, not, the, the, um, uh, not Jason Kinney, but the uh, justice minister, Tyler Shandro, said his providence will not participate in any attempts to seize firearms that the federal government under Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has recently prohibited, including so-called assault rifles. Shandro explained that he did not want to see the uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the RCMP, in Alberta going around confiscating firearms after claiming to have received a letter from the federal minister of public safety. Uh, they asked for asking for resources to aid in confiscation efforts set to begin in the autumn. The autumn. Well, we're in the autumn now, so I don't know when they're going to do that. So what kicked this all off was the RCMP sent a letter to them and said that we'd like for you to help us to do this. Well, we're not going to help you do that. We don't want you here. He said uh, Alberta taxpayers pay over $750 million per year for the RCMP, and we will not tolerate taking officers off of the streets in order to confiscate the property of law-abiding firearm owners. The expected seizure of firearms originates from May of 2020 when the Trudeau government prohibited 1,500 different kinds of firearms from being either sold or used in Canada, including the supposedly assault-style firearms. Many of the guns on the list were not even self-loading semi-automatic guns, but they were bolt-action rifles that had been used by hunters and sportsmen for over a century. Others were variations on the AR-15 platform. But this kind of gun tyranny is not limited to one country, of course. We had the Gun Walker program, which was not limited to Obama, right? The Fast and Furious thing that blew up. Um, <clears throat> that was... Um, went back, that was part of the gun walking program that began under George W. Bush. Kind of reminds me, you know, what we saw happening with Randy Weaver and with um, uh, Waco. You know, same ATF people involved in all that. 
And it really did span two administrations. It spanned the uh, George H.W. Bush administration, and then they kind of rolled it out and implemented it under um, Clinton. So uh, this Gunwalker thing started under Bush Jr. Shrub started it. And uh, then, you know, Obama, in the process of running their uh, false flag, and that's what it was, New York Times said it's a false flag, they wanted to uh, the ATF wanted to run firearms across the border into Mexico. They wanted it to be caught and to blow up so they could use that as a provocation to push through the UN arms trade treaty, uh, banning the sale and transfer of small arms across the border. Now, how does that affect us? Well, in order to enforce that, they would require surveillance and registration of every firearm so that they would be able to uh, backtrace it <clears throat> punish the people if the thing got into uh, another country. So they're going to use that UN treaty to do complete gun surveillance and control here in the United States. And so now in Canada, they're starting to do some of the same type of stuff. Canadian police were spying on a gun show in Montana. And they got called out by the sheriff there. This is why you want to pay attention to the sheriff. Get a good one. Uh, why were Canadian police officers checking out the Great Falls gun show last weekend? Well, that's what the sheriff of Cascade County wants to know. And <clears throat> this is from uh, uh, 560 KMON in uh, Montana radio. This is their, uh, their report. Uh, 560 KMON has obtained a document through the Freedom of Information Act that details what went down. Good for them. It's a radio station doing this. Uh, country radio station. In Montana. At around 10 on Saturday morning, organizers of the gun show said that there was a suspicious person in the parking lot taking pictures of vehicles at the gun show. The man taking the pictures turned out to be Officer Richard Carina, who identifies himself as a uh, Lethbridge police officer working on a task force with the Canadian Mounted Police. He says the task force is designed to catch Canadians. Uh, smuggling illegal firearms into Canada. When Sheriff Jesse Slaughter found out about the Canadian police officer doing surveillance work at the fairgrounds, he told him to leave. And he later did. In the report, the sheriff says that he has serious concerns about Canadian police conducting surveillance without notifying his office that they would be there. The Canadian officer said he was conducting his investigation in conjunction with Officer Craig Howe of the ATF. At this point, Sheriff Slaughter told both of the officers their investigation was over and they had to leave, which they then did. Howe, the ATF agent, uh, told the uh, sheriff that he does not have to tell the sheriff of any investigation because he's a federal agent. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> The ATF agent uh, also told the sheriff he was conducting another investigation into an American who was selling guns, adding that the American was not prohibited from possessing firearms. ATF agent Craig later called the sheriff and told him that he and the Canadian officer had checked out of their hotels and were leaving the county. The sheriff says, by not contacting his office, they were conducting an investigation which could have created major officer safety issues. Uh, so there you go. That's why you need to have a uh, good sheriff.
who's going to stand with the people. Uh, at least stand for his own authority and draw the lines. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Where they need to be drawn. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Stay with us. Decoding the mainstream propaganda. It's the David Knight Show. Have uh, Lewis Tart has left a tip on Rockfin and asks, uh, when will you be streaming on your website? Um, we've looked into that. It's uh, something we're going to try to do. I, I tell you, things are. Uh, we do have uh, merchandise up, I, and uh, Karen is telling me you better make a commercial because you're awful about selling stuff, and I am. I don't, <laughs> I don't like to sell stuff at all, but we do have a nice. Uh, Tumblr that has a koozie, and uh, it's uh, stenciled with a David Knight Show logo logo on it. We have um, uh, a mug that you can see there as well. Pens, uh, t-shirts. Um, here, let me show you the t-shirt. Here, I'll show you front and back. Um, it's got a left chest logo, and I think we had one of these. Yeah, we do. Have, you can see the back of the t-shirt over my shoulder uh, there, over here on the side. There you go, right there. That's what it looks like. But here's. There's this, and the picture on this of this on the website is uh, a little bit darker. We mentioned the fact that it's not; it looks like it's black, but uh, it is like uh, what is it, charcoal, charcoal gray, something like that. Um, and so it's not quite black, and uh, uh, just so people know. And uh, so we've uh, had uh, response to it this week. Put out a, a lot of orders. It's going to get a little bit tough for us. Uh, coming up, we may wind up uh, putting the orders on hold because uh, we're down to a skeleton crew here. You know, it's just this uh, pandemic. I just can't get anybody to work. <laughs> now, what's happening is um, Karen and uh, um, and Travis uh, are going this weekend uh, down to Panama to uh, get some medical treatment for him. And then immediately after that, there's a wedding. And so uh, we're going to be leaving after that. And um, so we've, I'll be gone for about a week, uh, but you'll be in good hands. We'll have uh, Tony Arterman, who's going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour. Uh, guard Goldsmith will be doing, uh, the two of them will be doing hosting uh, duties. And so I think you're going to enjoy it uh, while I'm gone. I have uh, no concern at all turning it over to those two gentlemen. They know exactly what's going on and uh, uh, always a great program when they do it. 
but uh, with um, Karen leaving, uh, we're going to be really uh, hard-pressed to try to get anything out after uh, this weekend. So uh, if you're thinking about getting something, we can certainly get it out to you before this weekend. Uh, it's going to be a bit dodgy after that for about uh, three weeks or so. So anything that you order, it's going to be a little bit slower after that. But I appreciate the response that people have had. Appreciate the uh, support. It's been difficult to get that going. And we do have uh, plans to do other things with it. It's just, um, uh, you know, we're, we're doing the website development ourselves as well. Uh, Tucker Carlson, I noticed, <clears throat> since I don't watch his program, I noticed that he had kind of the same take on this that I did. Uh, I was really enjoying watching this thing develop. I talked about that yesterday. Uh, uh, so on, on Monday, as you watch this develop, and <laughs> people are saying, oh, we had a couple of explosions. I'm like, well, that's suspicious. Oh, we had an explosion. Now there's a second one. And it's like, oh, this is sounding like 9-11. And uh, uh, so everybody understands. Nobody is pretending that it's anything other than sabotage. But now it's a big whodunit. And so Tucker Carlson uh, put the blame uh, squarely on Biden and NATO. He says, um, if they did this, it would be one of the craziest, most destructive things any American administration has ever done. And it would also be totally consistent with what they do. <laughs> That's right. And it's not crazy. <clears throat> um, it's a plan. It is destructive, but it's a plan for destruction. It's a plan for chaos. It's a plan to do it from the inside, to do it with disruption, and to do it iteratively. The same way that they put out the vaccines as a bioweapon to kill us, they want to do war from the inside, they want to do it with disruption, and they want to do it iteratively. Uh, Anthony Fascist, as they point out. Anyway, um, he said, uh, this would mean that the United States is directly at war with the largest nuclear power in the world. And uh, so he says, you know, what are we doing? This is absolutely insane, but it is consistent with the insanity that we have seen. Uh, from this administration. He says, if we blow up the uh, Nord Stream pipeline, why wouldn't Russia sever undersea internet cables? What would happen if banks in London could not communicate with banks in New York for a day? And on and on. But as we look at this, some people have pointed out that um, on the same day, you've got the uh, U.S. Navy bragging about their underwater demolition teams and things, which you know they do brag about from time to time. But... Uh, just as we had the CIA warning uh, Germany this summer that, hey, somebody's coming after those pipelines. They're going to destroy them underwater. Uh, who knew, right? Well, you also had, uh, going back uh, not very long, you had uh, articles about uh, Baltops 22, B-A-L-T-O-P-S 22, a perfect opportunity for research and new technology. And uh, this was something that was in uh, Military Industrial Complex Trade Magazine. They were actually running tests right there in Denmark, conducted off the coast of uh, Bonholm, Denmark, with participants from Naval Information Warfare Center Pacific, Naval Undersea Warfare Center Newport, and Mine Warfare Readiness and Effectiveness Measuring, all under the direction of the U.S. 6th Fleet Task Force 88. Uh, so they said a significant focus of this operation that happens every year, uh, uh, Baltops, or maybe it's Balt Ops, that'd be it, because it's Baltic operations, Balt Ops. 
um, is the uh, demonstration of NATO mine hunting capabilities. This year, the U.S. Navy continues to use the exercise as an opportunity to test emerging technologies. And uh, they talked about how they had um, unmanned underwater vehicle mine hunting technology in the Baltic Sea demonstrate the vehicle's effectiveness in operational scenarios. And it uh, looks remarkably similar to something that would be very useful for this particular project. Uh, Russia, meanwhile, in responding to allegations from the Atlantic, a NATO mouthpiece, uh, from the Associated Press, uh, which is <laughs> Associated Propaganda, uh, Russia tells the EU to treat the U.S. as a suspect in the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipelines. Uh, they pointed out that there is um, uh, you know, nothing in their advantage to doing that. But, of course, um, uh, there possibly is uh, a great deal that is in their advantage. You can make the case that it's to their advantage. But, again, I don't believe that they are the, uh, the culprits. As a matter of fact, there was a very interesting, um, well, let me just give you uh, what the Kremlin is saying about this. They said, yeah, this presents a big problem for us. Uh, RT has the article. They say uh, the Kremlin has denounced as stupid and absurd any allegations of being behind the suspected explosions of the Nord Stream uh, natural gas pipelines this week. Said it actually creates many problems uh, for Russia. Speaking to journalists, spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said it's a big problem for Russia as it has essentially lost its gas supply routes to Europe. Both lines of the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipeline were pumped full of gas and were prepared to deliver it to Europe at the time of the alleged explosion. Well, the explosion is not alleged. Um, <clears throat> the allegations are about who done it. Uh, this gas, said uh, the Russian spokesperson, this gas is very expensive. And now it's all just going up in the air. So was the pipeline. The pipeline's billions of dollars. It's now filled with seawater. And as they point out, uh, if they don't move very quickly, uh, it's going to be completely ruined. But there are no plans to move quickly. There are no plans to try to salvage any of it. Peskov also noted that neither Russia nor Europe had anything to gain from the destruction of the pipelines, especially Germany, for which this incident poses a threat to the future development of its industry as well as profitability and competitiveness. American liquid natural gas suppliers, on the other hand, have been making incredible profits after having multiplied their deliveries to the European continent, Peskov pointed out, adding that these companies are, quote, very interested in maintaining these super-duper profits in the future. That's what he called it. Kremlin spokesperson uh, advised against making any official announcements before a proper investigation into the incident is carried out. He did, however, draw attention to what uh, Biden has said. And, uh, of course, I, I mentioned it yesterday. Uh, here is the clip of uh, Biden talking about what they would do uh, to the pipeline if Russia invaded. This is back in uh, February. Let me answer the first question first. If Germany, if, uh, if Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine uh, again, then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, we will bring an end to it. What do you, what, how, will you, how will you do that exactly since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control? We will, uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. 
Well, there you go. I promise you that we'll be able to do it. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just Biden and his blunders. It was also Victoria Nuland, who has been there from the beginning of this war, when it began in 2014 with the coup. She was a big part of that. And uh, Ukraine has been at war since 2014. So here's Victoria Nuland, one of the architects of this chaos. Um, with regard to Nord Stream 2, uh, we continue to have uh, very strong and clear conversations uh, with our German allies. And I want to be clear with you today. If Russia invades Ukraine, one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. All right. So we have um, the threats from the Biden administration. Uh, we have uh, from Ukraine. We have Zelensky's advisor suggesting that the attack on the pipeline was a false flag operation carried out by Russia in order to make Ukraine look bad and to further drive energy prices up in the EU. Then you had in Poland, uh, no secret about the fact that they um, uh, don't like this pipeline. As a matter of fact, the same time that it was blowing up, there was another dedication of a competing pipeline that involved Poland. Uh, so... Uh, the former Polish prime minister, foreign minister rather, uh, publicly thanked the U.S. for apparent sabotage on Twitter. He's now walked that back, but nevertheless, is it, you know, as soon as it happened, he put out, I think, thank you, U.S. So if this is a uh, guy who is their previous foreign minister and he sees it as coming from the U.S., maybe it's not so much of a conspiracy theory. It is irreparable in terms of the damage, as I pointed out. Uh, serious damage filled with salt water. They said the media outlet, uh, that uh, the German media outlet, um, said that um, they have launched, Denmark would launch a probe into the issue no sooner than in a week or two due to safety concerns. So if they don't repair the damage immediately, it's going to be too late, but they're not even going to look at, uh, go down and take pictures of it. It's not all that deep uh, for a couple of weeks. Uh, they don't mention any plans for repair work by either Russia or Germany. A group of senior German MPs were quick to point the finger at Russia and to blame Moscow for the incident. An attack on the energy supply infrastructure is intended to spread fear and terror, said a German MP. Well, again, you know, when we look at um, all these coincidences that are there, uh, Poland and uh, Germany are, are talking about, you know, a new competing pipeline. You have the Americans threatening to shut it down. You have the alternative for Deutschland party saying, come on, open up this gas. Why are you starving us and driving us into austerity, poverty, depression? Why are you doing this? We need to just, and at that point in time, it's just a matter of the Germans turning the, the tap on. And Russia has really lost their leverage. You know, that was really some leverage that they had. It's like, you know, you do what we say and uh, back off and we will, you know, here's the carrot. They've lost their carrot. Now all they've got is the stick. Uh, so they said it's therefore unlikely uh, that uh, anything is going to happen with this. Uh, so uh, let's take a look at who might be behind it. Because I uh, really liked what was done by the Daily Skeptic as he pointed out um, uh, let, let's go down the list of suspects. And of course, it is the usual suspects we always uh, see with us. Who sabotaged Nord Stream pipelines? But he looks at the case of four different countries. Uh, the U.S., Russia, Poland, and Ukraine. He says, let's look at them 
in turn. He said Russia is arguably the least likely suspect, given that the two pipelines were its main source of leverage over Europe, as I just said. Uh, Russia had previously given Europe an ultimatum. Drop the sanctions, we'll turn the gas back on. Europe initially refused, but there's always a possibility this would change. And of course, as I just pointed out, there's a lot of political pressure that was happening at the very same time in Germany. Pressure to get the Germans to turn the tap on, the current German government. Russia was hoping that the ongoing energy crisis would eventually force Europe to give in. Yet, Russia's ultimatum is now dead in the water, if you'll excuse the pun. Uh, sabotaging the pipelines might have been a way for Russia to signal. We have the capability to blow up undersea pipelines, so Norway better watch out. But did anyone ever doubt that Russia had this capability? Uh, as a matter of fact, if, as the press is saying, you know, if Russia is going to threaten to use nuclear weapons, then uh, how would blowing up the pipeline, how would that send any more of a signal to anybody? Uh, and if it was the Russians, wouldn't they have given us some kind of a hint? while they could also maintain plausible deniability. For example, uh, when they say, uh, you know, Dimitri just fell out of the window. It was an accident. <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink, right? <laughs> Another obvious suspect is Uncle Sam, he says. And uh, again, he you know, discusses what I just played for you. Um, but he says, um, uh, you know, we had... Uh, also, the uh, Polish ambassador who said, uh, or former foreign minister who said, thank you. But he said, um, he doesn't think that it was the Americans. He said, I could be wrong, but it just doesn't seem like their style. He goes, you know that I uh, don't uh, try to cover for American. He doesn't. Uh, but I don't know that it's not America's style. I really don't. Um, I, I, you know, that, that's why you have the seals and things like that. Um, <laughs> they began as underwater demolition unit. And I've known a couple of SEALs, and um, uh, they're doing things all the time that you don't know about, demolishing stuff. Now, this is a big profile thing, but nevertheless, I would not, I would not agree with him that that's not the style of America. I think it is. Suspect number three, he says, is Poland. Unlike the U.S., Poland has been opposed to Nord Stream. Uh, like the U.S., Poland has been opposed to Nord Stream 2, uh, though for slightly different reasons. Nord Stream 2 would circumvent the Yamal pipeline that runs through Poland, denying the Poles lucrative transit fees, and for understandable historic reasons, the Poles tend to be wary of Russian-German cooperation. Since Russia's invasion began, Poland has been one of the most hawkish countries in Europe, having given a higher percentage of GDP and aid than everyone else besides Latvia and Estonia. And just take a look at what happened with uh, uh, with um, uh, Waters, uh, uh, Roger Waters from uh, Pink Floyd, when he wrote that open letter pushing uh, back against uh, Zelensky in the war, immediately Poland uh, canceled his concerts that he'd scheduled in Poland and um, decided that they would uh, have a formal, uh, uh, their legislative body would declare him to be persona non grata. We don't even want him in the country. They're very hawkish. It was also the forefront of the efforts Poland was to get EU sanctions on Russian energy. And meanwhile, they've also been demanding war reparations from the Germans. Just yesterday, the country completed its own pipeline from Norway, and that was what they were celebrating. Uh, so they're in competition, and we know with the situation in Syria, we've talked about this for years. Gerald Salenti and I have talked about it, the fact that there is a, 
a Russian-Syrian pipeline that was running across Syria. And uh, the U.S. wanted to run a competing pipeline. Uh, that's enough of a reason for a war right there in Syria. Um, so back in August, the Polish president actually called for a complete dismantling of Nord Stream 2. But on the other hand, Poland is getting hit just as hard by the energy crisis as the rest of Europe. In August, the country recorded an inflation rate of 16%, above the European average, and even higher than in Russia. This mitigates the theory that Poland was behind the sabotage. I would say, again, if you look at uh, military capability, that they really have the capability to pull this off. Um, you know, Polish Navy, yes, there is such a thing <laughs> to some degree. They got like about 40 ships. Uh, I don't know if they're up to any underwater demolition at all. They've only got 40 ships. But anyway, um, not, that's not to say anything about the, the quality of the ships either. Uh, the fourth and final suspect is Ukraine. Ukrainians oppose Nord Stream 2 for exactly the same reasons as the Poles. Uh, it would circumvent the pipelines running through their country, denying them billions of dollars in transit fees. And if the pipeline had come to fruition, Ukraine would have lost influence with the European Union since its own pipelines would be obsolete. Ukraine has, had, or has an even stronger motive to sabotage the pipelines, preventing Europe from getting giving in to Russia's ultimatum. Now that both pipelines are unusable, Europe has much less incentive to drop the sanctions against Russia or to stop providing arms to Ukraine. In the same way, you know, that they, they saw what was happening. Resistance was building in Germany and other places saying, come on, this is crazy. Just turn the thing on. All right, let's turn it off permanently. Uh, there's also the fact that Russia has been attacking Ukraine's infrastructure. So why not retaliate against Russia's infrastructure? According to people who know more about such things than me, he says blowing up the pipeline was well within Ukraine's capabilities. The country received underwater drones from the UK just as recently as August. Another reason why Ukraine may be the culprit is that the Nord Stream pipelines are jointly owned by Russia and Germany. So, if the U.S. or Poland sabotage them, it means that the West has directly attacked Russia. And if Russia sabotaged them, it means that Russia has directly attacked NATO. He says, I'm not sure that either side is, ready, is bold enough for that. And I would say uh, they're not ready for it yet, perhaps. And so his point is, is that if they did it with Ukraine, even though Ukraine is a surrogate for the United States and a surrogate for NATO and so forth, uh, doing it with Ukraine provides the plausible deniability that it's not a direct attack on Russia. Uh, and again, if Russia had done it, you know, it would be perceived as a direct attack on NATO. Uh, but if Ukraine does it, you know, they're already at war with, you, with Russia. And there's already infrastructure being blown up by both sides everywhere. And Ukraine, conveniently, is not a member of NATO. And if you go back and think about it, you know, I keep going back to Arestovich and what he said three years ago. He said in 2022, it's going to be full-on war with Russia. But that's good. Even though this country is going to be destroyed, and the, and the interviewer is like, what? What are you talking She started out by saying, you know, hey, you're on this team that's trying to negotiate peace with Donbass, right? It's like, no, there will be no peace, he said. 
It's going to get worse. We're going to go to war with Russia. The entire country is going to be destroyed. But the cool thing is we're going to get into NATO at the end of it. They can't get into NATO at the beginning of it because then you would have a full-on war. Like I said on Monday, I said, you know, Putin made a blunder, really. You know, if he stops and thinks about it, he should just uh, invent some kind of a mutual defense treaty, you know, like they had with the Warsaw Pact. Well, there he had that, right? So come up with another kind of Warsaw Pact and say, uh, you know, we have— um, We've signed this agreement. We don't even need to have an election. They did have an election. And so tomorrow they're going to say these four different regions where they had the election. They're now officially Russian territory. But you don't have to make it officially Russian territory. You can just say they're independent autonomous regions and we have a mutual defense agreement. You know, if Russia's attacked, the people in Donbass will fight for us. And that's exactly what we've done with NATO. We just have countries sign it, and then it becomes like an attack, just as we're talking about here. You know, an attack on Poland or on Germany coming from an attack on the pipeline would be perceived as an attack on NATO, which would be perceived as an attack on America. You don't have to hold elections. Anyway, um, so he says, uh, in his opinion, he says, I say it's a 10% chance it was Russia, a 20% chance it was the U.S., a 30% chance it was Poland, and a 40% chance it was Ukraine. Well, there's your 100%. But the reality is, is that it is 100% gone, the pipeline. Uh, and this is uh, one of the things, you know, when you look at war, war always makes us poor, doesn't it? And the people in Europe who've lost the uh, gas for uh, heating their homes and are going to pay through the nose if they can even get it, uh, it has made them poor. We're going to take a quick break and connect with uh, Tony. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Carterman, he is uh, right there and ready to go. So we will be right back. Stay with us. Listening to the David Knight Show.
Sorry, the uh, switch on here. I was just talking to Tony offline, and uh, he was talking about how busy he is. Uh, things are really changing quickly. And, of course, uh, Tony Arderman has uh, wisewolf.gold, and he's graciously set up a davidknight.gold uh, for our listeners and uh, supports us uh, through that. Uh, welcome, Tony. What's going on? What's keeping you so busy? Always great to be. Well, thank you, David. Always great to be with you. I was um, listening to your interview in the third hour yesterday uh, about the uh, soldier who had d- deployed to the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. I brought back memories because I was part of the 503rd MP Battalion at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And uh, when I became the colonel's driver, he found out that I power lifted in high school and I had a world record. <laughs> and he said, really? well, you should just go power lift. And, uh, and so I did, and I qualified uh, for to represent the United States on the American team in uh, September of 2001. And so I was in Sofia, Bulgaria. <laughs> On 9-11, representing the U.S. and my unit, the 503rd MP Battalion, immediately deployed to the Pentagon. So uh-huh. that gentleman yesterday was talking about other units that were deployed there. That would have been me, um, but I didn't go. Wow. Uh, I was sent to a line unit and went to uh, the invasion of Afghanistan. Wow. Wow. So, so, so you went to, they transferred you to a different unit. So you didn't get a chance to go back and talk to the guys that uh, used to, to be with and to find out what they said about uh yeah. What happened? No, it, was, it was kind of a whirlwind. I was in Sofia, Bulgaria on 9-11. Uh, we had to, we had, well, we were kind of trapped there for a few days. Then we went to England to get out and fly back to the U.S. And when I got back, uh, I had orders already. Everybody that I knew, the battalion was gone. They were deployed to the Pentagon immediately. Wow. And uh, I had orders to uh, go to, Af- well, they didn't tell you where it was, but I knew where we were going. We went to Spain. And then uh, into Afghanistan, we're the part of the first army company on the ground after the uh, spec ops and, and the Marine Corps wow. I was actually greeted by General Mattis. He's the one that debriefed us when we got the Kandahar. Did, did he tell you he had a plan to kill everybody? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one of that's one of his uh, truisms, right? Uh, be courteous, be kind, have a plan to kill anyone in the room. Right? <laughs> that's interesting. That's pretty amazing uh, in many different respects. Uh, that's, uh, so you're a power lifter. That's great. Yeah, I was a world champion powerlifter. Wow. I, I started lifting weights when I was a a, a young man and uh, was Texas state champion, national champion, and I set a world record before I went into the army. Although it's a funny really? story because I was never able to get them to give me airborne school because they said, "Well, you had a knee operation when you were 16." And I said, "Yeah, but I'm beating I'm part of I'm like one of the elite athletes <laughs> on the planet." And they said, "Well, that doesn't matter." So I wear my airborne wings with pride because I had to earn them from the bottom up. I had to get rejected a bunch of times before they finally let me go. Uh, but that's why I was part of an, an elite unit uh, on 9-11. And that's, you know, I would have either been at the Pentagon or we were going to Afghanistan and his fate would have it uh, to Afghanistan. Wow. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Uh, well, uh, that, that is something I never knew about you. I didn't know that you were a world record holder on uh, – uh, on powerlifting. That's really I'm impressive. a terrible self promoter, David. I don't, I, don't <laughs> I have enough confidence to do this, but, uh, something about just talking about yourself all the time, it makes me feel awkward. So, yeah. uh, I thought that was a good, but it, you know, it was a great interview and, uh, I would love to talk to some of the people that I, I never got to talk to them again. I mean, it was, uh, Afghanistan. And then I got, was back to back. We went into Iraq, uh, as soon as I got back from Afghanistan. So I was gone wow. for, for the next three years. Wow. Wow. Well, I tell you, you know, that I, I still I, I keep going back to that conversation and kicking myself that I have that woman in the store who was working in that office and all the people she was talking about, how widespread the corruption was and how 
uh, people were retiring left and right to avoid prison and prosecution. And, uh, and, and she never put the dots together. You know, that's how close we can be to something and, and not put the dots together. These are people who were investigating and they know about the fraud. And yet, uh, she just thought it was a coincidence that it happened right there. <laughs> you think about the, the, uh, compartmentalization yeah. and you talk about people not asking the right questions. When I was in Kandahar, uh, this was an intelligence gathering operation. They were taking people off the battlefield. And the first question they'd ask them is, when's the last time you've seen Osama bin Laden? And they had high profile people there from the CIA, the FBI, a military intelligence. The main person there didn't even wear a name tag. And he worked for, he used to work for General Schwarzkopf, I was told, but he spoke uh, like three different dialects. So they were looking for Al Qaeda, but little did they know that uh, the upper echelon of the Central Intelligence Agency had met with bin Laden in July in <laughs> Dubai. Uh, and they knew he was in Rawalpindi, Pakistan on September 10th. So there's a decom th th this, the compartmentalization yeah. Yeah. is real. And yeah. a lot of people don't ask the questions because they don't know to ask them. And, and they didn't know his real name, Tim Osmond, right? Well, his name is Tim. <laughs> yes. Have you guys seen Tim? Where's Tim? Uh, oh, I know where he is. Yeah, he's right over there. He's in the Pentagon, actually. <laughs> it's a very crazy yeah. time, and, uh, and the, it's a small world, isn't it? Yeah, well, of course, it has left behind a horrific legacy that they continue to build on. You know, it's interesting to see how they they lay the foundation for their new society step by step, and it's been rolling out for decades now, and uh, we're in a, a, a dangerous situation. And, uh, you know, I just read it. I've got another article here about how Russia and China are going to be settling uh, their trade, which is now booming between the two of them, uh, settling a lot of their trade in CBDC. And uh, so that's being used and reported to say, well, we're going to have a CBD gap, a CBDC gap, and so uh, we got to rush into it as well. There's no time to think about the consequences of this, and, and uh, our um, reserve currency status is at risk, so you know we got to run into it as fast as we can. That's that's my big concern about what's oh, coming that, financial. That'll be the guys that it's uh, yeah. promoted. We have to compete. We have to look what China's doing, and that's right. You know, you look at the BRICS nations: uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. David, that makes up over forty percent of the world's population. The mm -hmm. BRICS nations, and we've so long dominated with the petrodollar and uh, you know the London bullion exchanges. These countries, uh, they want to break away from that. I mean, we're the manipulation of the price of precious metals and all the other commodities because of the dollar. And uh, you can see that waning. I think the dollar is really in the Indian summer mm -hmm. of its existence. It's like it's, it's, it's really strong right now, which is bizarre. They call it a strong dollar. And Michael Meharry put out an article. Uh, it's on Zero Hedge via Shift Gold. You've had him on your show. Yeah, yeah. Talk about, the tenth, about that Tenth Amendment Center. Yeah, he does that as yes. well. Yeah. And I listened to his podcast and he just little, little blurb here off this article. And you, know, you think about gold and it, and it has not performed with the worst inflation the U.S. has ever seen. And we know the damage that's been done since uh, August of 2020 when it hit its all time high and broke over 2000, I think 2060. Mm -hmm. But, you know, look at this, this little blurb from Meharry says gold has outperformed U.S. bonds, foreign bonds, the S&P 500, foreign stocks, the NASDAQ and U.S. Tre Treasury inflation protected securities. The only things that have outperformed gold are commodities, especially oil, oil, agricultural goods, and the U.S. dollar, which is very strange that it, the U.S. dollar is outperforming gold, but that's by design. So it's like when people ask me where the prices are going or anything, I don't get stuck on that because it's hard for me to like read the language of fake things. I don't, I don't really know what they're going to do next to manipulate it. I just know that we're in for massive change and to give your audience a little bit of insight into what I'm seeing. 
the supply, I know I've, I've said this a bunch of times, but the supply seems to be getting tighter and tighter and tighter with these prices as low as they are. I mean, usually I could get gold pretty easy. Now I'm in the back office looking at the trading floor and seeing I've only got two or three options, you know, and I have to call other wholesalers. And uh, luckily, Kenzie's been working really hard. She's about to get us some direct contracts with the mints themselves. Uh, so just in order to, um, you know, better uh, fill orders in the future. Mm -hmm. So um, we're, we're looking for all contingency plans because my volume's picking up. I wanted to give you an update on, on Wolfpack. If you go to davidknight.gold, folks, and you join Wolfpack, just put in the promo code David. Uh, David's going to get credit for that. We've already got, um, we're, we're knocking on the door. Well, it should have 100 members, I think, in the next 30 to 40 days. Wow, that's great. And uh, the alpha, the alpha wolf, or excuse me, the lone wolf package, I was going to show what, what I sent out from that. I put a uh, 2016 brilliant uncirculated American Eagle in there. Then you get a, a 40% sil silver half dollar Kennedy and a 90% quarter. And all of the, the lone wolves were mailed out. There was about 16 members. I put those out yesterday. So, uh, and that's going to be a great club. We're going to have, uh, I'm going to either set up a telegram or a discord so people can have chat, uh, that you can communicate amongst themselves. Cause really what this is all about is learning pressure. You're going to get the precious metals with your membership. That's just guaranteed, mm -hmm. but it's education. And when we go into an era of, of central bank, digital currency and austerity and possible, you know, Gerald Salente calls it the greatest depression. I, I don't disagree. We're going to have to, you're going to go back to trading real assets and money. I think, I, I mean, the, this, this, the days of the dollar has, as we know it, especially as they trans transition into digital, I think are numbered. And we, the people are gonna have to learn how to use these commodities like our ancestors did. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you gotta have that kind of community so that people can uh, share information about what they're doing, uh, that works and doesn't work. But it, the, um, uh, the Wolfpack is essentially for people that don't know, it's a way of, um, you know, putting in a regular amount of money, uh, like a, a regular program and to, uh, start building up your holdings of, uh, precious metals that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, even for the savvy investor, if you just want to leave, you know, you can go up to the wise wolf package, which is like 500 bucks a month and you can do custom even higher than that. What it is, is that I've got products that walk into the shop that are discounted. And I'm going to be able to take those and invoice Wolfpack. And then, so you're going to get the discounted rates and competitive pricing. Like I was able to sell that Eagle, uh, and I was beating Jay and bullion, I think by two bucks. <laughs> so it's, it's a significant savings yeah. and you get interesting products and you're part of a, you're part of a club that gets to see the, the type of products that come in. So now we're really, um, we're really proud of it. I'm, I'm glad that it's going well. A lot of the, the, I think the first member was, a, was a David Knight listener. So we really appreciate uh, all oh, the folks. Great. That's great. For, uh, shopping with us. That's great. Yeah. Uh, before you go, I just want to get your take on what, what do you think is happening as a former military person? Uh, what do you think is going on with this pipeline thing? I just gave you <laughs> one person, a uh, uh, daily skeptic, uh, Toby there, uh, wrote his, uh, article talking about, uh, you know, Russia, us, Poland, Ukraine, uh, who was behind it. Uh, it, it's amazing to see that as uh, people are pushing back, they've always got another, uh, ace up their sleeve. Uh, to keep uh, us from getting any more energy, but uh, what would uh, what would you guess is uh, you know was it Colonel Mustard in the library who did it with a candelabra or what? <laughs> I, I like the uh, the link that Guard shared with us. Uh, was the uh, the Russian passport found in? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that. I, that's so funny. The, the Russian passport in the water just makes me laugh. <laughs> you know, it, it, something I thought of this morning when I was listening to you driving in was, you know, uh, after in the in the aftermath of the Alamo, 
when Sam Houston had his ragtag army and he was kept, they called it the runaway scrape. And uh, he would just try to, to get away from Santa Ana, further drawing up his forces. And finally, I mean, his men were about to mutiny. They were saying, we're just going to go fight because you won't fight. You're, you're a coward. And, and finally, uh, Sam Houston, once uh, Santa Ana had divided his forces, he gave the order to blow the bridge. And that was going to make it to where his men couldn't get out and neither could Santa Ana's men. So we conquer <laughs> or die. Remember the Alamo. So this was, yeah. that was, you know, a pivotal point in American history. But really, when you blow those bridges, that is a, 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 a symbol that there is no going back. I think that's really what this is. It's language, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no going forward with peace. We can't go back to the way things were. That's a new world. Um, they definitely want war. Yeah, I mean, I we agree. could easily have peace right now. I agree. You're reading the open letters from Roger Waters. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty obvious that if you wanted peace, we could get it. There's, a, there's, a, there's something, there's a negotiation to be had there. But, you know, it's the national survival for Russia with, with uh, NATO on its borders and the bio labs and all the interference from intelligence and everything else, it's just, it's too much. And we're pushing that. We're not going to back down. Uh, Russia can't back down for its national survival. I don't know what happens next. I hope I'm wrong about everything, but uh, my gut tells me that uh, uh, that something is afoot, a possible hot war, and I, I just pray that I'm wrong. I, I agree. Be- I agree. Yeah, when you look at it, you know, the fact that we've got uh, so many different people that are all credible in, in terms of national actors, all of them credible in terms of doing this, tells you that there isn't anybody, any of these countries, that wants peace. Uh, they all are we all believe that each and every one of them uh, would have the motivation to escalate. Nobody has a motivation to de-escalate. And, uh, uh, and, and that is uh, kind of, I think, the underlying, when you look at uh, the usual suspects and, and try to figure out who done it, I think that's the key takeaway. Uh, yeah. It's kind of like, uh, what was it, Murder on the Orient Express or something, I think, where they, at the end of it you find out that uh, all of the suspects were involved in knifing uh, the... <laughs> <laughs> the person that they that they hated, the rich person that was on the train, you know, they all had a motive, they all had opportunity, and oh, by the way, they all took turns at stabbing this person, and and I think that's what's going on right now. They all want a global war. Yes, and the leaders don't read their history. I mean, you go back and read Barbara Tuckman's work on the guns of August that came out in the early 1960s. I think JFK was reading it during the Cuban Missile Crisis, as a matter of fact, but it has to do with. All of the statesmen, when World War One started to unravel, you know, they said, well, the boys will be home by Christmas and all this stuff. Oh, yeah. They, they totally underestimate and they couldn't stop it. That was the that was what JFK saw in the book is that all these statesmen. They had all these treaties and tripwires, you know, as you talk about the Pat Buchanan mentioned with NATO and all these other, you know, interlinking treaties that have been signed by people that are no longer alive. Mm-hmm. And so, you, I mean, the. The terrible ifs accumulate. They may not be able to stop it, even though they maybe they don't want total war, but you might get it. Yeah. And that's just right. because you can't stop the escalation once that's it's right. once it's in motion. And you always see, and you know, just as you mentioned in uh, World War One, you see it uh with the Civil War. Everybody thinks it's going to be a route for their side. Uh this is gonna be easy. We'll take these other guys in no time at all. It's not gonna be a high cost. And that's the lie that is always told at the beginning of these wars, and then you find out. Uh, that the cost was far higher than anybody even imagined. And uh, I think that's going to be the case in, in this particular thing. I think it's going to affect us directly. Uh, unlike uh, previous, um, you know, uh, the U.S. has not um, been involved in uh, actual warfare like that. And so people here have gotten very soft, very spoiled. They can't even imagine it. Whereas uh, people in Europe and especially in Russia uh, do understand that. 
but that's one of the reasons why I think we are pushing so hard is because that's there right. is no collective memory of, of what that's like. It's been a well, long you know, time. The, the people during the Civil War, in the first year of the war, you probably know this, they would show up for the first couple of battles. They were going to have picnics to watch the war because it was going to be an event, you know? They did. And then the cannonballs roll through and take out people's <laughs> legs. And, I mean, there's parts every, everywhere, and it's carnage and, and blood, and, and they just were shocked. Yeah. I think what the American people are very insulated, you know, especially and our ruling class is very insulated because they far removed from their loved ones serving overseas and the wars that they create. So it's a, it's a bad combination. I, I think that uh, we're about to get humbled. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the first big battle there, uh, Manassas uh, or Bull Run, first Bull Run or first Manassas. Uh, you're exactly right. They showed up there <laughs> to, to watch as a picnic. And then uh, war ain't no picnic, folks. Uh, that's the thing. The only, the only memory that we have of it are veterans uh, who have uh, served, and it's always been foreign wars, but we could very easily have a domestic war. Uh, I believe, as I've said, this fourth turning is going to be a combination of the previous three, I'm afraid. I think it's going to be a revolutionary war, a civil war, and a world war all at the same time. I think that's really what's coming. I uh, hope I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, it's great talking to you, Tony. And again, uh, folks, if you want to go to uh, davidknight.gold, that'll take you to Tony's website, wisewolf.gold. And he's got a lot of programs set up there, a lot of specials. Anything else you wanted to show, Tony? We go. Well, I, I will say for David Knight listeners, I always have uh, some kind of product offering on these little segments that we do. And uh, I've got to go to the trading floor in Dallas this weekend. I will, I'm, I'm buying an, an estate sale worth of uh, 90% silver. Wow. I, so everybody that's listening right now, if you're in the Dallas area and you want to do a pickup of 90% uh, silver and one ounce silver rounds, I've got, it's going to be a, a lot. I can't tell you how much I have, but it's going to be a lot. It's enough where I have to drive it down. Wow. Uh, so uh, you have until 10 a.m. on Monday morning when I have to go to the trading floor uh, to turn it in. If you'd like to meet up with me or uh, you know see what we have, uh, you can give us a call. Uh, go through davidknight.gold and give David credit for that. So it's just uh, just an offering I'm putting out there. We'll, we'll definitely beat any prices online. That's great. That's great. Well, it's a good thing that you've had all that experience lifting weights because you're <laughs> <laughs> picking up a big estate of uh, silver stuff. Right. So it's gonna, uh, I'm sure you're in good enough shape to handle that. Uh, Tony, is always... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's great talking to you. Thank you so much for what you do for the show. I really do appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate Thank all you, you do, sir. Uh, we're going to be right back, folks. Stay with us. Deceit. Telling the truth is a revolutionary act. You're listening to The David Knight Show.
All right. Uh, always uh, interesting to talk to Tony. He's got some more stories to tell you about his powerlifting, by the way. Uh, he was just telling me. Um, we look at uh, Pie from the Sky. The, the Davos dystopia is now on schedule. Drone delivery coming to America, just as you've seen on the Davos videos, as they're bragging about it, right? Uh, you want to fly in your pizza and everything. It's one of the first things they mentioned, you know, flying a flying pizza. Flying pizza used to mean that they would, you know, twirl it up in the air. But uh, now I guess it's going to be on a uh, drone. Uh, that'll be the new flying pizza. The service is available in parts of the United States now. And uh, this the purpose of this article was to talk about, this is on uh, Yahoo, and it was picked up by uh, Drudge Report. So Drudge Report is... Uh, pushing the uh, shiny new dystopia that's coming your way. It's going to be just wonderful, right? It's, it's like all these visions of the future where everything is just uh, shiny and new. We were talking about, Karen and I were talking about um, uh, Star Wars when we first saw it. And, and I said, yeah, you know what struck me as unusual about that, which is different, was um, <clears throat> there was a lot of stuff that was derivative, you know, a lot of stuff that he, he adapted from, uh, the old serials, obviously, that was, you know, even the the, the, trans, the video transitions that he used and everything, he was hearkening back to that. Um, he did uh, recreation of the dogfights from World War II and things like that. But I thought the thing that was really interesting about it, uh, two things. Number one, kind of the central characters that they used to move the narrative along were the two robots, R2-D2 and C-3PO. And, and R2-D2 didn't even speak, uh, but he had. <laughs> they were very clever in the way that they... Uh, had him interact uh, with the other ones, and kind of the same thing with uh, uh, with uh, Chewbacca, the Wookiee. You know, he didn't speak either, but you know, it was as he interacted with a guy who did understand what he was saying. You got a, an idea of what he was saying. So I thought that was very clever, uh, the fact that they were the central characters. But it was also the fact that uh, everything was not brand spanking shiny new, which you typically would see in Hollywood uh, movies of the future. It was kind of uh, bent up and and uh, hanging around there. But, you know, when they sell us their vision of the future, it is that kind of naive, shiny new vision. And uh, because of that, people don't see the dystopia that is lurking right there under the shiny uh, surface. The little aircraft appeared out of a blue sky above a Texas home, deposited its payload of mid-morning snack in the yard, and then zoomed off as deliveries by drones start becoming a reality in America. Flying shipments of pizza and other gifts. The service is available in parts of the U.S. And the regulation is catching up. And so the regulation that's going to catch up to this, this is going to be a government-created monopoly. You understand that when it comes to delivering stuff like this, Amazon is going to be essential. But your small business is not. So you just don't you try to do any drone delivery yourself of your products. Uh, yeah, don't try this at home. We can't have everybody doing this, right? Uh, it, it, it'd just be too crowded, too chaotic. So we got to have, you know, our friends do it. That's the way this is going to operate. That's one of my big issues with this whole thing. Uh, safer and better for the planet, says Yahoo News, than hulking greenhouse gas spewing delivery trucks. <laughs> See, this is the propaganda they push out there. And, you know, the, the problem with those delivery trucks spewing and belching out greenhouse gases while well, you've got the those drivers who are breathing and exhaling co2 you know belching and all the rest of this stuff you don't want any of that um let's just uh this is rolling through in frisco texas 
Frisco. That's uh, where you had uh, Greg Abbott set up a $250 million contract to trace Texans with a little shell corporation that was up there at the very beginning of the pandemic lockdown. Yeah, Frisco, Texas. A lot of uh, connections up there. Uh, so in Texas and North Carolina and California, and uh, they have uh, an Israeli startup called Flytrex, another one called Wing, and then, of course, there is also Amazon that is involved. It was Amazon founder Jeff Bezos who in 2013 unveiled a delivery drone in a CBS interview, predicting that within five years, airborne shipments would be routinely zipping from fulfillment centers for customers to customers' doorstep. Well, he's a little bit behind schedule, but that is the plan. And it was two years later in 2015 when they uh, put an end date, a specific date of 2030. Uh, UN came out with their 2030 agenda. Davos came out with their um, You'll Own Nothing video. And in that, they showed a drone delivering pizzas. Uh, so uh, they said uh, Wing is operating in um, the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. They're in Frisco. Uh, they offer deliveries to some areas in Australia and in Finland also. And uh, here's what they can do. Right now, they have a weight limit of about a kilogram, which is about you know two and a half pounds. Uh, they said, uh, think about an entire roasted chicken. That's actually a good visual for the size of what this fits. And so you have to ask yourself, if all it can do is carry a roasted chicken, uh, how many trips is this wonderful uh completely clean drone going to have to make to bring you a meal. How efficient is that in terms of time or in energy? Because, you know, when you put the electricity in, uh, it's got to come from somewhere. And right now that's typically done by uh, boiling thing, boiling water so that you can turn turbines, right? So you can boil it by burning fuel or you can boil it by splitting the atom. Uh, but for the most part, that power has got to come somewhere. Right? It's a, this is the whole illusion about making everything electrical. Well, we just plug it into the wall. It's clean. So, uh, but, but when you stop and think about this, they said it would take a small army of drones to service the 150 to 200 packages that just one truck normally takes on a route, said one person, noticing the issue here. And that is the issue. Is it more efficient just in terms even of energy usage, is it more efficient to take every piece, you know, you got 150 to 200 packages, and of course those packages can be a lot more than two and a half pounds. It just ask any UPS driver, any uh, postal delivery person, uh, typically are a lot more, uh, a lot heavier than two and a half pounds. But if you break the, all, all the stuff that's in that truck into uh, hundreds of two pound shipments and you're just flying them all day, <laughs> or an army of these things going back and forth. How efficient is that? Is it really efficient? I don't think so. If you have a truck that's got a circular route, you know, it depends on how you route your truck. If you have an efficient route for your truck, it's not more efficient uh, than doing it that way. Uh, drones don't get tired. Drones don't try to text while driving. See, this is the other thing that you always get. When they sell you their utopian vision of the future that is complete BS, they'll always tell you that uh, this new technology is going to be flawless. It won't cost anything. Uh, it's going to work perfectly. It'll never have any downside issues. Uh, they never make mistakes. 
And uh, when you hear that kind of stuff, you know that you're being sold and you're being sold a bunch of BS about a utopia that is going to turn into a dystopia. Now, Amazon is also looking at home robots. Uh, they've got one that they've just developed, a little cute little robot they call Astro. Well, you know, Astro wasn't the robot. Astro was the dog. But, of course, this is kind of like a dog. It's one of the reasons why I think they're calling it Astro, you know, going back to the Jetsons. Uh, they are kind of uh, working for the pet vibe, you know. We're used to having, uh, you know, small pets around us, dogs and cats. So, you know, let's make the robot kind of like a little pet instead of some big, intimidating uh, robot. Uh, Astro, a two-wheeled robot about the size of a bowling ball with a touchscreen for a face and a little periscope for peering over tabletops. And here's what they're doing with it. Automatically mapping your home using several sensors. And they'll then wander curiously around, avoiding obstacles, people, and pets. It still isn't all that clear why anyone would want to have this machine underfoot. Amazon suggests that Astro can help you to keep an eye on your home from afar by recognizing different people than sounding an alarm and sending an alert if it comes across a stranger. Well, that's not exactly a killer app, says um, Wired Magazine. But of course, you know, it's not just that you can watch your home from afar, but Amazon can watch your home from afar as well. Uh, this is their friendly little spy in the uh, packaging of a cutesy little robot. Amazon's big vision for the smart home, which involves learning to anticipate pe people's habits, Amazon executives call that ambient intelligence. Getting there depends on Amazon being able to understand many of the things that a person does in their home. Yet most people, would balk at a camera in every room. So you put in a cute little wheeled robot that provides a more acceptable way to monitor the household's activity. You see? Big Brother comes with a, an acutesy little package. And of course, their vision, Amazon's big vision, is to watch you and everything that you do. Uh, Amazon's vision for a cute machine that watches your every move might feel unsettling to some. Oh, but uh, I guess those would be the technologically backward people amongst us that uh, are really kind of asking how this is going to be used. Astro's pre-programmed personality, designing the robot to offer a kind of companionship, they said, I think it's smart to make it look and act more like a pet than a human, said a roboticist from MIT's Media Lab. Uh, Kate Darling. Kate Darling, isn't that nice? Hey, Kate Darling. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the use case that they're pushing, which is surveillance. <laughs> it's like, hey, you want to buy a surveillance bot for us? Uh, you pay for it and we watch you. How about that? Does that sound like a deal? Uh, and we do it so that we can sell more stuff to you. But of course, they'll also be selling information to the government about you as well. Uh, she said, so I'm not a big fan of the use case that they're pushing, which is surveillance. But I truly do believe that the real use case for social home robots will be, well, social. Except that if you understand what social media is about, uh, is social media about socializing? Well, that's what you and I may be doing. Uh, but social media has always been, from the very beginning, about surveillance. That was what it was designed for. And that is what they are designing this for as well. And then they'll put a friendly little social 
face on it as well. We have uh, some distressing things, I think, that have turned out uh, with uh, Maloney in Italy. You know, a lot of hope that maybe uh, she's going to push back against the globalists, and um, they are pushing pretty hard against her. Uh, that doesn't mean that she's good, just as we talked about with Trump, you know, just because everybody says, well, if he's, if he's not a great guy, then why is everybody uh, pushing back against him? Well, what we see in France, they've got a lot of different things that they don't like about her. She's not pushing, for one, their social and cultural agenda, which is very, very, very important for their control. So it is a big problem for them that she is supporting the family and other things like that. And that is something that we can cheer. Uh, she has, uh, a French uh, prime minister has declared that the EU will be vigilant against the threat of um, her and the family, right? They, the family is a threat, and anybody who uh, talks about the family is a threat to them. What I have a problem with is that she wasted no time in declaring her loyalty to uh, NATO, to the Ukraine war, pushing it as hard as possible. Uh, we're going to go to a commercial, and when we come back, uh, we're going to try to uh, connect with Ted Bear. Uh, and he has uh, a publication that I've used for many years when we were in the video business. Uh, and um, we're going to talk about Movie Guide and his perception of the influence. He watches it very closely. Uh, his, what, what kind of influence are the movies having on us and what do we do about it? How do we protect ourselves, protect our families? We will be right back. Stay with us. The Common Man. They created Common Core to dumb down our children. They created Common Past to track and control us. Their Commons Project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. thedavidnightshow.com Welcome back. We have our, our guest, uh, Dr. Ted Baer. He is founder and publisher of Movie Guide. Uh, many of you know that uh, before I got into this, uh, Karen and I used to own uh, several video stores. And uh, so I used to rely on his publications quite a bit. And uh, I'm really excited to talk to uh, Dr. Baer you know, because of the influence that our, our movies have on our culture. And that's really how he is focused. His uh, tagline is, he who controls the media controls the culture. And of course, uh, politics and everything else is, is downstream from culture. Uh, I think when we look at this, we have to um, 
be wise consumers, if we're going to be consumers at all, of uh, media. And, of course, it's inescapable that we're going to consume it. Uh, so uh, thank you for joining us, uh, Dr. Baer. Appreciate you coming on. It is a great pleasure to join you, especially somebody who uh, you know comes from the video store business. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun while it lasted. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. It yes. was good. Uh, well, you know, what we have right now really is is kind of a great reset of distribution, isn't it? You know, they they changed the distribution. They got rid of the video stores, which they were never really very happy about, frankly. Uh, but uh, now, you know, I think they, they put the bullseye a few years ago, many of them. Uh, you know, there's a dis disagreement within the industry, but they kind of put a bullseye on the movie theaters. And now we've got, um, we got number two, Regal has declared bankruptcy chapter 11. Uh, you've got number one AMC with a thousand movie theaters. Uh, they are trying to, uh, you know, issue some new financial instruments on uh, Wall Street to kind of keep going. Um, what do you see happening uh, with uh, movie distribution in the near future? Uh, is it going to go streaming completely? Are they going to get rid of uh, the uh, the movie theaters? Well, you know, I have a lot of uh, studio heads who speak at my class on how to succeed in Hollywood without losing their soul because studio heads usually know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they say that it's, it really is difficult without the theater release because, uh, streaming doesn't give you a box office. So, you know, most of the money made by a movie is overseas. And if you've ever gone to the Cannes film festival, which I've done a couple of times and friends of mine are, um, you know, middle European uh, distributors, et cetera. They buy films based on the box office here. Uh, if it's an A movie, you know, they'll pay a couple of million dollars. If it's a B movie, they'll pay maybe just a little under a million dollars. If it's a C movie, they'll pay a couple. Of, but that's the way you sell movies in territories all the way from China to Germany to Africa to wherever else. If we're still selling in China, which is a gigantic market. So, people who come to me who are studio heads and the next one, I've got one of the best studio heads in the business speaking in November and uh, then one of the biggest film financiers, et cetera. And they say, you know, when we try to recoup overseas, we've got to have a number and we can't get a number from streaming. In fact, Netflix just fired uh, one of their people because he was uh, jockeying the numbers. He was head of that uh, to determine what was, succeeding or not. So you don't know what's succeeding on streaming. It's, it's That's invisible. Right. It right. used to be more visible, uh, when Facebook and everybody else was giving you uh, access to getting the numbers, but Facebook was criticized for that because it doesn't do it anymore. So you have a tremendous problem without the audience that, uh, you know what the movie is worth overseas and it's 60% of the box office is overseas. You're in big trouble. Mm -hmm. So that's where we are today. We are in big trouble today, um, and it's not been easy. Now, the theatrical business is always a tough business running theaters. I had a friend who was my you know, daughter's uh, uh, godfather who was head of MGM and people like that, and he wanted to go into you know the movie business because they're showmen. They like to be showmen. That's what they want to do. You know, My parents were movie stars during the 30s, so... And my father won the box office award and they starred in 62 movies and then they started on Broadway. The show must go on, the grease paint, the smell of the grease paint, the roar of the crowd. Yeah. Um, I grew up in all that business. And so you want to be a showman, but the theaters uh, are subject to the studios and the studios have really created the problem here with, you know, and they've got to get out of it. 
um, for Regal and others. Regal used to be owned by a friend of mine, and then the company before that that they bought was United Artists. That was owned by another. These were Presbyterians out of Denver. What are Presbyterians doing owning Woodard's? <laughs> in, in the case of uh, my daughter's godfather who bought the theater in Atlanta, you know, he bought one movie, and you get to bid on them, Annie. And if it's a big movie like Annie, you've got to give them 100% of the box office for the first two or three weeks. And if Annie is a bomb, which is what it was, it got bad reviews, uh, you're giving 100% of the box office. Nobody is coming to the theater. You've got to make your money back through overpriced popcorn. So if people wonder why popcorn is overpriced, because the theater is desperately trying to make their money back. Uh, anyway, right. we do the economics of the industry. So we do a detailed economic report, and you probably don't want to hear more of that, but I can give you all the economics and ends out. And so the theaters, by saying, okay, this is Avengers, this is a big movie, or this is you know Avatar 2, or you know whatever it is, uh, Tom Cruise, the latest, whatever it is, and we want 100% for the first three weeks. Well, if that movie bombs, which often they do, you know, you can't guarantee it's going to be a success, then the theater is left with an empty theater and not enough popcorn, and they're in big trouble. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they had a lot of empty theaters, and it's one of the things that's gotten them, uh, both of these chains are about $5 billion in debt uh, because of the lockdown. But I think even more right. important than, than the and money. This, I think, this week, yes. this weekend is going to be worse because you've got two movie god minus four. You've got Bro, which is about homosexual love and, and actually shows fellatio and all that <laughs> opening. And that's their big movie from Universal. And then you've got Smile, which is a horror movie. And two friends of mine made it. And it's, it's so negative that we gave it a negative four and only uh, three stars. The first one we gave two stars. Uh, and negative four. So they're, they're abhorrent. They're just awful. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to be a real addict to go to a theater when the movie is just awful. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and that's why, you know, even though, uh, we always enjoyed movies and we got into the movies in the mid eighties when they had, uh, you know, kind of capitulated because of the Supreme court decision and said, all right, we'll allow the video rental business to exist. And they opened up their, their vaults. And so we were excited because we were doing all the classic movies and we had a field day with that. That was a lot of fun, but then, uh, that started to die down and, and, you know, we started paying more attention to what they were putting out and it's the content and the content has amazingly gone down and really accelerating downhill as you're just talking about there, uh, the darkness of Hollywood. Uh, and your, your, uh, uh, movie guide, you look at, uh, not only the quality of how the movie was done, but you have a separate rating in terms of, um, uh, you know, the, the, uh, essentially the moral content of it, right? Yeah. The acceptability of the movie. And, right. uh, yeah, last year, just let me give you some quick figures. Uh, 90% of the top grossing top 10 grossing movies of the box office contained overt or, uh, uh, Christian or strong biblical values. Ninety uh, percent of the overseas, it was like one two point uh, uh, one billion, and I got to look at my figures if I'm going to get that correct. Two point one billion out of two point six billion at the box office contained strong Christian or biblical content. Hmm. Streaming a strong Christian biblical. Now that's not because the movie companies, which have, are insane, uh, and I love a lot of them. I'm not trying to be mean to them, uh, want to get that content to do well. It's because Christians 
uh, like your audience want good movies. So they're choosing good movies and they're choosing them out of the, you know, out of the field of movies. And, you know, like last year, quiet place Two started off with the Lord's prayer and, you know, and uh, Belfast Academy award winner, uh, had strong Christian content, all these movies that were good at the box office. Uh, I can go through them all because, you know, one of my favorites is boss baby Two where the parents have to go undercover and it features Christmas and everything else to rescue their kids from a Marxist school. That <laughs> plot sounds so completely Christian that you think it must have been made by some independent filmmaker out of Texas, but it was made by a friend of mine who's uh, made the boss baby. And he that's his beliefs. A lot of times the Christians behind the scene in Hollywood who make these movies are not the people yelling and screaming. And it's the same way with schools and everything else. We've allowed yeah. the tail to waggle the dog. And because we have not spoken up and we've let the negative nabobs and the, and the confused and the pervert and the psychopaths speak up, we've lost the culture. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you, know, you see, um, uh, uh, the, the, the gamut has uh, run all the way from right now. We've got in the movie theaters, we've got uh, life Mark with uh, Kirk Cameron. And then we have, that's uh, about to stream out uh, little Satan. As I look at this, based on <coughs> my experience, um, th there really wasn't any uh, really good quality uh, Christian or family films when we were in the business. That has really picked up, and, and there is some good quality stuff that's out there. But the bad stuff has gotten much, much worse. And so I look at this, and I see a real polarization in, in terms of content. Uh, and unfortunately, most of it is the really bad stuff, uh, like Little Satan. I mean, how do you uh, how do you view this? And I think it's one of the reasons that I think your your movie guide is is very important because people need to understand that uh, a well made film that has uh, a, a really evil uh, uh, worldview with it, like something like Little Satan, uh, is um, is, is uh, something that's really dangerous because of how well it's packaged, right? Well, here's here's the story on that. They don't, uh, you know, a friend of mine was a producer of Hacksaw Ridge, and he's produced a lot of movies, and uh, he says, you know, Hollywood now makes two movies, one to make money, you know, to support 61,000 people at the Warner Brothers lot. You've got to make money. they got to get paid. The lot has to get paid. The, the You know, all of the loans and everything else have to get paid. You just said that about the theater industry. Uh, so, you know, they'll make a movie that'll reach a broad audience and they want those, uh, even streaming like Andor is a very good streaming and some of them are, are excellent. They make those to get the audience, but they also make a second category of movies to win uh, Oscars and Academy Awards. The so one reason the Academy Award business is going down is since 1991, and you don't want all this background, but anyway, since 1991, when they finally move from honoring the big movies, you know, like in the golden age, sound of music, et cetera, or my father's movies, you know, crime and punishment, et cetera. Now they're honoring movies that are, that are quirky because the guys who are uh, the main voters of the Academy are now the little independent producers. So you make two types of movies in Hollywood. They still have to make the big ones that are clean and wholesome. And those ones will do well. You've still got Sonic coming out with marriage and, you know, family and trying to be good. Um, but you have a lot of negative coming out and you even have movies that are, that are nice twists and turns of fate like bad guys. So it's not like they disappear. They need those movies to pay their bills. Um, but the audience has to be clear 
that there are good movies and bad movies, and you've got to choose. You know what I've said all the time? That's right. Is you can't just, you know, pay, <laughs> you know, be presumptuous. You can't just uh, stereotype because every company, you know, like Universal puts out a lot of good big film films, and now it's putting out Bros, which is, you know, something that a major studio, um, it's such an evil film, um, pro homosexual, fellatio, all of that would not have put out 20 or 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So they're doing both. They think that because Variety loves bros, all the insiders love bros, all these quirky people who have become psychopaths themselves love bros, they want that to win an award. But as long as those people win an award, the Academy Awards is going to crater, and it's been cratering since 1991. That's right. That's right. That's what they want to see. And you're exactly right. That's what we've seen really – with Disney, you know, Disney has made so much money by doing broad appeal things like uh, Pixar used to be, uh, but now they just can't seem to pull themselves back from doing the art house, self-congratulatory, propagandistic uh, type of films. I'd love to talk to you sometime about uh, what has happened with Disney, but I know that we're out of time. I know you only had 15 minutes today. You're very busy. I appreciate your time. Uh, appreciate you coming on again. Uh, this is Dr. Ted Bear, and he is a founder and publisher of Movie Guide. He's been around the movie business his entire life, uh, knows uh, many, many people from the inside there, and he's got the inside scoop on uh, what is happening with the films. And, and it'll help you to discern uh, the content from the uh, sizzle, I guess we could say, you know, the, the packaging, uh, they, can, they can make it, they can package the worst stuff and make it look really uh, sizzle and pop. So thank you so much for joining us. Very important service that I'd highly recommend to anybody. Thank you very much, Dr. Bear. Have a great day. Look forward to talking again. Thank bye-bye. you. All right. Bye-bye. Movieguide.org. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back folks. Uh, stay with us. Listening to the David Knight Show. about good versus evil you know as, as uh, christians we need to uh, think about what we're going to do you know you, you can have a couple of different responses and usually some kind of a combination of those you know we can just uh, isolate ourselves and walk away uh but of course um you know christ says well i didn't come to remove the people you know my followers from the world but so we can engage in uh, the worldview we can engage the culture we can try to expose that uh, some people will try to create content that transcends it. And I think there's a, uh, an opportunity for us to do all three of those types of things. I really hope I can get him back to, uh, talk about what's going on with Disney because he had, uh, uh, knew a lot of people who were in and around Walt Disney, uh, back in the day. And, um, 
Uh, Dr. Bear has been around for quite a while. I'll just say that, you know, what he was talking about in terms of how they would make a movie uh, for a broad audience uh, and, and try to make it a general entertainment film. <clears throat> and then they would make a movie for themselves. So one to make money, one that was the movie that uh, they were going to make for themselves and for their peers. And that's what all these awards are about. It's really about uh, being celebrated by your peers. Uh, our personal story about that was uh, we... Uh, when we got into the uh, video business, it was all VHS stuff and, and some beta. Beta was kind of on the way out, but it was still a, a factor. We got in there that early. Um, so was it going to be Beta Barn or VHS Village, you know, as, as the Simpsons? But uh, we bet our money on VHS and we went the right way. Um, and then, uh, you know, as, as LaserDisc came out, we carried LaserDiscs and... Um, uh, because again, we would we were focused more on catalog titles, on older classic films and things like that, and um, we had about two hundred different genres at one of our stores, packed into a small. Uh, that that was a real. Uh, how, how do you how do you convey that to people so they can find it, and how do you store all that stuff? Uh, you know, the store is about six thousand square feet, but still, we had um, two hundred different genres, and we had about fifteen thousand titles and things like that. That was how we competed against Blockbuster. They were all about the new release. We were about the catalog. But um, we would also get into the alternative uh, media. You know, so as uh, Laserdisc would come out, we get into that. As uh, DVD came out, we were very excited about that because of programmability of it and the small form factor of it. And uh, as they were talking about their capability to be able to branch around things, and of course, uh, you know, you've had uh, companies like Clean Features out of Utah that uh, set up a business model doing exactly that, hated by Hollywood. Uh, so they would, uh, <laughs> uh, with Clean Features, uh, they would grab the movies and, and uh, you could say, well, I, I don't want to see sex, I don't want to see violence, or I don't want to, you know, this or that. You could check off different things that you didn't want to see. And... Um, they would, um, they had a player that uh, they could program. And so they would come in and they would essentially on the fly make an airplane version of a film. You know, we've all seen that. They would put out something that would be R-rated and it might have nudity or something like that in it or some real heinous violence. And so they would edit that out or they would reshoot the scenes because, you know, that. and, and when they would do that, you'd say, well, why didn't they do that in the first place? Well, you know why they didn't do it. They did it. Because they wanted to flaunt the nudity. That's how they would get people to go to the, go to the films. Uh, but they would reshoot the films. And, uh, you know, without the nudity, they'd reshoot some of the same scenes. And they'd create an airplane version. And uh, so you could basically create an airplane version of your own. And what they would do is you, you would buy the player from them. And then you would subscribe to their uh, system. And you would say, well, we, um, uh, we want to watch this particular film and you download the instructions for it. And then it would just branch around those particular types of things. And Hollywood hated that, hated that with a passion. Uh, my experience with it, because I knew that existed and people were talking about that was going to be a capability. So we started renting the DVDs and I was telling customers when they're coming in the store and I talked to them about it, uh, cause I, I loved hanging out in the stores and just talking to people, uh, about movies. It was a good starting point to talk to people. And, um, and so we really kind of got to know people. It's kind of like, you know, cheers where people, would, you know, uh, come in, you get to know them and you'd start kind of get a good idea kind of films that they like. 
So I was telling people that that was to uh, decide um, a, if they've got the movie and, uh, you know, you wouldn't, uh, and something you could watch with your family. So everybody's really excited about that. So we went to a, um, a VSDA convention, the Video Software Dealers Association. It was a trade organization for people who uh, had video stores that rented videos. And they would have studio heads there. And at one of these, um, uh, one of these meetings, they had uh, one of these conventions, they had a guy who was from New Line Cinema. You know, they're the ones who produced um, Lord of the Rings and uh, some other things. And so he was there trying to sell everybody on doing DVD in their stores because most people were not doing it in their stores. It was still early technology. And so um, after the presentation, I went up and I talked to him and I said, um, so I've got a lot of customers. I said, I know you can have different versions. It doesn't, you don't have to have, you don't have to have two different uh, complete movies. You can just have it branch to different scenes or you can have it branch around scenes. And I said, I know that you have the capability to do that. I said, uh, you have guys have any plans to do that? And he said, no, absolutely not. He said, uh, uh, all the directors hate these airline things. They hate that with a passion. And so he goes, we get a lot of resistance from them. We're absolutely not going to do it. It's like, oh, I was really shot down. And within a couple of months, they took a, a film. Um, I think it was called Crash. Had James Spader in it. A really degenerate film, if ever there was one. It was about some guy who follows... Uh, he, he's got some kind of a weird fetish where he follows around uh, car crashes. And he loves to get around car crashes and he finds it to be erotic or something like that. And what they did was when they offered that to us, when it came to video, New Line produced that and um, they offered their sick R-rated version and a much, much sicker X-rated version. So that you can have it is exactly what I had talked to him about, uh, about, uh, four or six months earlier, exactly what I talked about, but they went the other way. And so when you look at it and you look at Hollywood and you look at how dark these people are, and that's one of the reasons why we've seen this continual downgrade and downward spiral in the content, because as Hollywood itself gets darker and darker, their idea of a general, uh, film that uh, the public would like to see. Uh, gets even worse. And um, I was surprised. There was an excellent series uh, that was put out by the BBC. It was narrated by James Mason, and it was about the early days of movies, silent films. Uh, one of the best documentary series I've ever seen. They talked about special effects. They talked about the lighting. They talked about the camera work. They talked about what it was like to work in the early days of silent films and things like that. I can't remember the title of it, uh, something about silver screen or something like that. Uh, but one of them was about the morality of Hollywood and what brought us, uh, I think it was, if I remember correctly, the Hayes Code, uh, which uh, they didn't have that in the early days of Hollywood. And they were doing some pretty uh, uh, crazy stuff, especially considering where the country was, right? Uh, They're putting nudity and orgies and things like that in a lot of uh, early silent films. And that caused uh, the uh, Hayes Code. Uh, again, if I remember, I don't know if that, I think that's what it was. Uh, the, the code that came in that got very strict, you know. So you've heard them talk about how on a television program, 
Uh, it was a married couple. They would have twin beds. They're not going to be in a double bed. And they had things like uh, one character had to have, if they're sitting on the bed, one character's got to have one foot on the floor, that type of thing. You know, they had <laughs> rules like that that were very specific. Uh, and that was a reaction to what had happened to Hollywood in the 1920s. Because when you bring in people who basically have a theatrical background, other things like that, that's, that's really kind of the culture that's going to be there. So you take somebody who is flamboyant exhibitionists, because that's what the actors typically are, and then you mix in large heaps of money and a lot of fame. These people go off the rails. I mean, it's just human nature. Very few people can handle that. And, and uh, it just destroys them, as we see over and over again. Look at all the different stars who've, um, you know, their, their personal lives are messed. They're addicted to drugs and all the rest of this stuff. I mean, we look at them and we elevate them, and yet uh, we should pity them. They have horrible lives. They really do. And you look at this documentary and say, oh, that's awful. I mean, I would not exchange places with any of these people. And if you're thinking about it, neither would you, if you really understand what's going on with them. And um, so um, that type of thing has always been there. And, and it went underground because of the Hayes Code, and people didn't see the dark underbelly of Hollywood. And yet it was getting worse and worse all the time. I think there is, it's not properly understood if you don't understand the spiritual dimension of it. And I think Hollywood has been one of the most effective evangelizing and proselytizing tools for Satan that has ever been invented. And, and it really has become dark and very, very powerful. And, um, and yet, there is, uh, you know, we are, we're not called to run away from darkness, but to confront it. And, you know, we've had some spectacular successes from some very Christian films uh, where the people have gotten the, uh, the, the technical capability up. I mean, that was, they were, the first Christian films were laughable in terms of how poor they were. And uh, as the, um, the storytelling capabilities and the uh, videography and other things like that, the acting have improved. And now there's a lot of actors out there who are, are desperate to um, uh, not be a part of that culture. So uh, there is an opportunity, as I said, you know, the, the Hollywood in general has gotten so much darker uh, but there now is a glimmer of light that is there. And uh, so it's, it's a good thing to try to support uh, some of the people who are doing the right thing. And uh, there are films out there uh, now, as I mentioned, I haven't seen it, but uh, Life Mark with Kirk Cameron, that's gotten very good reviews. Uh, it's about, um, uh, it's about a, a young guy who is adopted and, and things that are happening with his um, adoption family and his uh, birth family and, and uh things like that. So uh, there are some uh, really good films that are being made, uh, but you really have to use discernment and you just can't become a, uh, a big consumer of films because they will consume you. They really will. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, cars. And uh, before we do that, I want to thank uh, Alexander. Thank you for the tip on Rockfin. I appreciate that, Alexander. Appreciate that very much. Let's talk a little bit about cars. Uh, we have Democrat Ohio Senate nominee, Tim Ryan has previously called for a ban on all gasoline cars, which is really to call for a ban on private cars because our grid, as it is now, cannot support everybody driving electric cars, and they're reducing the capacity of the grid in spite of what they claim. Uh, so we know where that's leading. Uh, in one of his campaign ads, however, he's featuring himself driving a large 
gas-guzzling SUV, writes the Daily Caller. Uh, Ryan, who's also a congressman, indicated that Democrat Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont's plan to ban all gas vehicles by 2040 did not go far enough. He said that during a 2019 interview uh, after a Democrat presidential primary debate. However, now in his campaign videos, he's showing himself driving around as one of us. He's got an SUV. And the one that he's uh, picturing himself driving is a 2020 GMC Yukon, which only gets 13 miles per gallon. Uh, He said previously, he said, if we're waiting for 2040 to get rid of gas vehicles, we're doing something terribly wrong. This is a guy who wants to go to the Senate. Uh, they're going to do this at the national level. They've already talked about, you know, you got uh, Gavin Newsom. He thinks it's a winning in, uh, issue to uh, ban gasoline engines. Uh, so they're going to do that in California. And uh, they want to make this national. Ryan, who votes 100% of the time with Biden, voted to pass the $370 billion climate spending bill uh, that will give tens of billions of dollars to the EPA in order to do things like facilitate environmental justice programs. And of course they have the inflation reduction act and these other bills. They're spending billions of dollars to destroy roads. They're not going to fill potholes. They're not going to make them wider. They're going to actually make them narrower. They're going to actually put speed bumps in instead of fixing the potholes. Uh, These people want to destroy all private transportation unless it comes in a form that they can control. That's what this is all about. Uh, so again, uh, he is, um, s- sad thing about it is he is in the lead, uh, against, uh, JD Vance. It is a tight race. It could go either way. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier in the program, you have with the supply chain disruptions that have been uh, brought in, uh, by the fake pandemic, you have Ford having to, uh, talking about how they're going to take a hit of about a billion dollars because of supply chain issues and because of inflation. Here's one of the supply chain issues they got, as I mentioned earlier, they can't even get the blue badge that says Ford, you know, the blue oval that says Ford on it. They can't even get those to put on their cars. Can't put the finishing touch on it. Right. Uh, they've said the shortages, um, not only include badges, but also nameplates that the company uses to specify the make and model of the vehicle. So, uh, as they show there, the clip, the meme, uh, badges, you want badges. We ain't got no stinking badges, right? <laughs> I guess that'd be on the Sierra Madre Ford model. Uh, but it's a company that they are depending on Tribar technologies that makes the stinking badges for Ford, uh, has now been forced to limit its operations effective August because it disclosed to state regulators that it had, quote, discharged industrial chemicals into a local sewer system. Oh, well, okay. As uh, Zero Hedge comments, uh, so much for ESG investing in electric vehicles. <laughs> These people just making the badges are, are uh, leaking uh, industrial chemicals into the local sewer system. It might have been some kind of an accident or something like that, but uh, they shut them down in August um, for period of time at least, to uh, see what's going to happen. So now Ford can't get the badges, can't get the names. And then at General Motors, uh, they can't get the, uh, the employees to come back to the office. They said, um, we want all, I, I guess we can make cars from home now, right? 
Do you think you can do that? Um, <laughs> gives Zoom a whole new meaning. Uh, no, they can't make the cars from home. This is uh, for their corporate workers. And they said that they would be required to return to physical locations at least three days a week beginning later this year. So they didn't say, you know, right away, it's, it's going to be coming up. You're going to have to go into work at least three days a week. Well, they don't like that. And so they got a lot of backlash. And so now GM uh, and the GM CEO, Mary Barra, is now trying to walk that back. Say, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. She doesn't want everybody to leave because nobody can hire anybody, right? And uh, so they are doing damage control with their own employees because the employees don't want to go back to work. They want to work from home. They don't want to go into work. Uh, she said the timing of the return to office has now shifted. But she said we still have this overall plan that has not changed. We still knew, do need to get back to the office someday. This is the type of thing that is destroying uh, the supply chain everywhere. Uh, people got used to not going to work. Uh, they got used to being the, the free money, and that's what this is all really about. It was all from the very beginning, and I said this. I said, you look at this, they're locking us down. That is exactly what Davos wants to do. They're now talking about giving us a stimulus check and extended unemployment uh, benefits and uh, bonuses on unemployment because they've now taken away our jobs. I said, I never would have thought, I always thought, you know, how in the world are they going to sell this universal basic income? Well, they didn't sell it. They just, well, they sold it with fear and they just imposed it just like that one day. Uh, so yeah. That's the new ethic. The new work ethic is uh, no work or uh, we'll work from home. But that's uh, the most I'll do. I'll work from home, apparently. So um, anyway, she said um, uh, this is a big change from the uh, flexible work appropriately rules that were announced by Barra and lauded by the company back in April 2021. Uh, but, you know, that's just not working. And so they're going to have to try to do something differently, but the employees like this system. Once people get a taste of universal basic income, here's free money. Uh, of course, everybody likes the free money. It's, it's, an, uh, it's just like, you know, your crack dealer giving you the first hit for free. That's what Trump did. When it comes to saving fuel and travel, I like this advice. Drivers are told they should accelerate harder in order to save fuel. How about that? Uh, finally, we've got a rule and a regulation I like. <laughs> yeah, I can, uh, I can do that. I can accelerate faster. Right. Saving fuel and money is usually associated with driving slowly and smoothly, but some university research suggests otherwise. They said when uh, getting up to speed, most people assume that accelerating gently over a longer period is the most fuel-efficient way. And I remember when we had the OPEC uh, energy crisis and everybody started becoming very uh, concerned for the first time about uh, saving fuel. And they would tell everybody, well, you drive like you've got an egg under the, um, uh, under the uh, accelerator pedal. Um, I never really got the hang of that. I guess I broke all my eggs when I was doing it. <laughs> Squished them. But uh, now they're saying research by various universities and researchers all suggest accelerating harder is better. It's definitely better. It's better in a lot of different ways. Uh, when you look at the science behind fuel economy, 
It runs contrary to what the vast majority of people might expect as a rough rule of thumb. Taking a longer amount of time to get up to speed does not use less fuel because your engine is having to use fuel for a longer period of time than if you get up to speed with traffic more briskly. And this is the way I drive. You know, it's just, um, uh, you know, accelerate real fast, put it in neutral and coast down the hills here in, in uh, Tennessee. <laughs> That's a, and now I have something that I can tell when the officer pulls me over. He goes, uh, <laughs> what are you doing? I'm trying to save fuel. I'm, uh, you know, no brakes on the curves uh, because I don't need to in my car. And um, <laughs> he says, going hell bent for, uh, hell for leather is the way he put it. Going hell for leather off the lights with your foot to the floor won't help fuel economy. Oh, come on. Uh, but you want to aim at two-thirds of maximum throttle while getting up through the gears as quickly as you can. And that's recommended by many. Uh, I think uh, you get much better fuel economy, too, if you have a, a manual transmission. I, that's my feeling for it, uh, especially since I can coast a lot of places. But uh, I saw that, and I said, hell for leather. Uh, hell for leather. I thought it was hell bent for leather. That actually got me to stop and look at that because I think that's an interesting phrase. Hell for leather or hell bent for leather is actually coined, I found out, by uh, at least they said the earliest anybody could find of that was uh, 1889, a story by Rudyard Kipling, hell for leather. But of course, we've all heard um, hell bent for leather. And they said that is kind of a combination of hell bent, which means that you're headed for hell. And hell for leather, which meant that you're going fast. And so both of them really kind of mean that you're going really fast. But I always um, uh, <laughs> uh, remember the uh, lyrics to uh, Wagon Train. You know, rain, wind, and weather, hell bent for leather. Wishing my gal was by my side. Giddy up. <laughs> Move along, giddy up. So uh, get up to cruising speed. Giddy up to cruising speed right away. And then you can let your pony kind of coast. Um, using a Toyota CHR, I don't know what that is, but some model car, passenger vehicle, uh, with a 1.2 liter engine, uh, the car was accelerated from 20 miles an hour to 75 miles per hour. And then again, the uh, academics found that going easy on the accelerator was not the best way to maximize fuel efficiency. They think the way to get the best economy is to accelerate about two-thirds, as I said, go through the uh, gears, and then once you're there, maintain that speed. Well, in Beijing, they are going to be monitoring the bus drivers, not just their speed, not just as we've seen in the past. You know, we're all concerned about when they're going to try to roll out this black box stuff on us. So the insurance companies and, um, you know, the law enforcement taxers uh, can monitor, are you accelerating too quickly? Are you braking too quickly? Are you going around the corners too quickly? Yada, yada, you know, all this other kind of stuff. How are you driving? And, um, and of course, you know, what speed are you driving? So they can issue you, uh, tickets and, you know, constantly hector you and tax you and that type of thing. Well, in Beijing, it's going even further than that. They are putting on, uh, artificial intelligence, health monitoring bracelets to look at, um, your blood pressure, and a lot of other things. And, of course, with it being China, uh, they don't want to just spy on people while they're working, these poor bus drivers. They're going to have them wearing these things all the time, these, these monitors on their, on their uh, wrists, and monitoring uh, as they're driving, monitoring their emotions and their blood pressure, 
but then also monitoring how much sleep and exercise they get. And of course, what is the justification for all this? Well, whenever we're talking about transportation, the justification for every authoritarian intrusion into our life is always safety. It's always about safety. Drivers have been issued with electronic bracelets that monitor everything from blood pressure to sleep patterns to their feelings at any given time. To me, it sounds like they're prisoners or worse. And interestingly enough, they are using these same um, biometric scanning uh, bracelets and everything on prisoners. Uh, because in China, they want to make everybody prisoners. Uh, they measure biometrics in real time to detect anxiety, sickness, and overall fitness. And also being used to track people charged of minor crimes. <clears throat> so they don't actually have to put them in a prison. So maybe they'll you know, put that bracelet on you and then if you're not doing the right thing, they'll send out the drones <clears throat> like they want to do in the American prisons, right? Have uh, drones to monitor people. Uh, but um, uh, as we look at these monitors and we look at all the uh, health things that they're looking at, we now have the leading manufacturer of heart pacemakers, this company called Medtronics, is recommending that people keep their distance from these electric charging stations for your EVs. Stay at least a foot away, they say. And these are the types of things they've warned people about in the past, you know, microwave ovens and uh, electric fences, uh, transformer boxes. I wonder if they have that kind of warning for smart meters. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, um, so that's uh, just a word of warning. If you happen to have a pacemaker, uh, that's just another one of the effects of these things. Of course, uh, Boudigay is going to put them everywhere for you. So uh, you're going to have to <laughs> keep at least a foot away from all these things everywhere. Uh, and Tesla's uh, German Gigafactory, their battery factory, they've now had a fire. Interestingly enough, they say that it's not from the batteries. They say it's from paper and cardboard and wood that they were recycling at the facility. Uh, but it certainly does sound like a, uh, a battery fire. Although they did say it took 50 firefighters hours to get this under control. Um, even with, uh, firefighters that are working full time at the Tesla factory, because you don't want to have a fire and a battery factory. But, uh, I guess if it had been the batteries that would have caught fire, they would have never gotten it put out. Uh, it would have uh, lasted for days. Can you imagine, you know, a, a fire in a battery factory is uh, going to be kind of like a fire in a fireworks factory. It, it'll just take longer <laughs> to completely destroy the place than it does in a firework factory. It all goes up all at once. Um, but of course that's in an area where the people there have uh, been fighting, um, Tesla's factory, you know, not in my backyard type of thing. These are the green people who want electric vehicles everywhere, but they don't want them built in their backyard. And especially in this area, the, the spot that they picked for their factory was in one of the oldest forests um, still in Germany. And uh, they got permission to uh, cut it down to build green cars. <laughs> and now they've had a fire at the factory as they were burning some of the wood, I guess. And I know it was actually wood that they would have used for other things. Uh, an electric truck company, Nikola, Everybody is trying to get as much, get as close as they can to Nikolai Tesla, right? And grab his name. They can associate themselves with him. Poor fellow. Anyway, um, uh, Nikola has recalled 
all of the electric trucks that they've built so far. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with them being electric trucks. It has to do with a malfunction of the shoulder ankle anchor on the seatbelt. So it has absolutely nothing to do with it. But what I thought was interesting was that they sold 93 of these trucks. And these are the big trucks. These are class eight trucks, like semi-trailers. I was surprised that anybody had sold nearly 100 of these things. But then again, it is only 100 of these things that have sold. And the question is, when we look at this review of, um, this is done by a YouTuber who is uh, Tyler Hoovy Hoover. That's what he goes by. He's got a pretty big YouTube channel. And um, he's evidently making a lot of money from it because he just bought a 2023 Ford F-150 Lightning electric pickup truck. And he decided that he was going to take his, uh, he was going to use it to go pick up a classic 1930 Ford Model A truck. So he's going to take his brand new electric vehicle truck and he's going to pull a trailer. Uh, it's an aluminum trailer. It's not very heavy. He's going to pull this aluminum trailer and he's going to take the empty trailer and, um, and go get the, um, um, the, um, the, the old 1934 truck and then pull the truck on the trailer back to where he is. It's actually got a couple of legs to the, to the journey. And uh, so he was absolutely amazed at what happened when he started towing. And this is one of the reasons why I, I, I keep saying, I, I see that they're putting out these class eight semi-trailers, putting them out as, as EVs. And I've said for the longest time, how in the world is that going to work? Because I know how long it takes to charge these things. I know they've got uh, super powerful chargers, mega chargers or whatever that they're talking about using on these things. But still, you know, when you start to charge them that quickly, uh, it does things that can cause fires and stuff like that. But you're, you're still talking about a tremendous amount of energy because these things are going to be pulling like 80,000 pounds. And what, you know, how, how long are these things going to have to sit there? I mean, you're going to have to swap out batteries or, or what's going to be the uh, situation to charge these, uh, these trucks to do this. So let's just take a look at, here's a very simple one. Um, it's a truck that's towing 3,500 pounds and he finds that it can't even uh, go a hundred miles. Here's his abbreviated version of his report. That's almost 90 miles of range in 30 miles. Are you serious? That's nuts. <laughs> what a joke. Welcome to Hoobie's Garage, the dumbest automotive channel in all of YouTube. And this is my new 2023 Ford F-150 Lightning electric pickup truck. And it is towing my new 1930 Ford Model A pickup truck that I bought for my show Car Issues on Motor Trend. Now, I towed with the Model A today uh, quite a distance, and it was a complete and total disaster from beginning to end. The standard range battery, Lariat, so it is the luxury model, but the smaller battery, which means a max range of 230 miles, a max tow capacity of 7,700 pounds. If you got the big range battery, your tow capacity goes up to 10,000 pounds, which is very, very impressive, but you have to deal with 
the range. Now my plan was to make two trips up today to see the car wizard down and back, down and back. It's about 32 miles each way. So that's about 64 times two, 128 miles round trip. I had this thing charged to just over 200 miles when I started my day. So ample margin for error when it comes to range and towing. And also considering the fact that the trailer was going up empty two times. The trailer is aluminum. It's only 1400 pounds and it was coming back with two vehicles, the Model A being one of them. The other one was going to be a much bigger challenge, testing the max of its tow capacity, but it wasn't even worth trying. EV towing. The Lightning pickup truck is towing back the two Fords over there. How's it doing so far? It's uh, not good. It's used over 70 miles to go here, which is about 35. So it's used twice the power. With an empty trailer. With an empty trailer. An aluminum trailer. Aluminum trailer. It shouldn't even feel it. It's like 1,400 pounds. That's the weird thing about the EVs, I think, with, with towing, is you lose so much range, more than a gas. Yeah, you know, I had, uh, uh, about 25 years ago, I had uh, an SUV that was a V8, and uh, it didn't get great gas mileage. It was like about uh, you know 18 miles per gallon. But when I would tow... Uh, and it had a pretty good towing capacity. Um, and, um, it, it would, if I remember correctly, it was like four or 5,000 pounds or something, which is pretty good for, uh, an SUV that you would, uh, typically drive around. I know my, um, brother-in-law, we had, uh, we towed some heavy stuff from uh, North Carolina up to Maine and back. Uh, it was very, very heavy, uh, load with a, a big trailer. And, um, then, um, I, sold uh, my car so we used my brother-in-law's car which was a uh, a jeep cherokee and uh, it ruined the transmission <laughs> on his car when we went from north carolina to, to florida but it was fortunately under warranty still and um you know it shouldn't have ruined it because it wasn't above its towing capacity uh, but you know they're talking about these uh, trucks here that it could pull ten thousand pounds and that's amazing except it doesn't have any range and the reason they could pull the 10,000 pounds was because it didn't have the transmission issues, I guess. Um, because that seemed to be what the, you know, the, the factor was on these things. So it's just, uh, applying the power directly to the wheels. But he said, uh, if a truck towing 3,500 pounds can't even go hundred miles, that's ridiculously stupid. Uh, said, uh, Hoovy Hoover. He said, this truck can't do normal truck things. You would be stopping every hour to recharge, which would take about 45 minutes a pop. And that's absolutely not practical. And that's why I wonder again about these class eight trucks, the semi trailers. It's like, how in the world is that going to work? I mean, look at what it does to it. Uh, so for his experiment, again, he was trying to drive to a place 32 miles away, takes the empty trailer there, uh, and then comes back with, um, the, uh, 1930 Ford model, a pickup truck that you saw there. And he was then going to go back and get another vehicle, uh, but um, you know, it couldn't make it. He just gave up on it. He said about 32 miles each way, so it's going to be 64 times 228 miles round trip, as you heard him say. He charged up to 200 miles um, range. He put the empty aluminum trailer on. He said, I was puffing, uh, I was pulling out my uh, out of my neighborhood, he said, which is only a quarter of a mile away, and already it had used up three miles of range. And by the time he got to his location, 32 miles away, uh, it had used up 68 miles of range. Once he loaded it up with a Model A truck and started driving it back to his neighborhood, he said he got the driving range low warning, and he saw that he only had 50 miles left, despite charging it for 200 
at the start of his 64-mile round trip, they said, are you kidding me? This is almost 90 miles of range, and I've only gone 30 miles? What a joke. He says, if the future is electric, if it is, there has to be some kind of a solution for this. I have no idea why EVs tow so badly. My guess would be that it doesn't have a normal transition where there's gears and a car's in a lower rev range. Oh, so that's kind of interesting. You know, the gears that might be the, the transmission, that might be the limiting thing, uh, also gives you the extra range. Funny how that works. Anyway, uh, if a truck towing 3,500 pounds can't even go 100 miles, uh, this truck can't do normal truck things. You'd be stopping every hour. He said the F-150 Lightning is more like a truck that most people use their trucks for just to get around from point A to B. It's not really for doing truck things. They just want something that is big, tall, and comfortable. And it does great at that. But as far as doing truck things, well, uh, as far as towing goes, it's just not any good. Uh, but you notice that it did have that Ford badge on there. <laughs> they were able to find one somewhere so they could sell it to uh, Hoovy, And he could get out of there with it. Uh, but uh, here's, here's a metaphor for the future. You got a customer in Hawaii and he bought the Tesla solar system. It's solar panels to go on the roof and the transformers and all the rest of this stuff. But he's now waited four years to get it finished. He had um, the people from Tesla come out. They installed it. He paid them. They didn't do the paperwork. Oh. And so now the controlling Democrats in Hawaii will not allow him to actually use it. He says, I don't have the proper permit. See what happens when you combine <laughs> greenwashing billionaires with Democrat politicians. Uh, this is our future, folks, if we don't get control of this. He says, every time I come home and look at this, it causes me mental anguish. He said um, he spent tens of thousands of dollars putting this thing up. He said they've gone up on his electric rates significantly in Hawaii. He goes, um, uh, the electricity costs are now 60% higher because, uh, you know, they're going green as well. <laughs> His estimates are that he has lost at least $30,000 in potential energy savings over the last four years. Uh, he's been trying to work for years with Tesla. Finally, they just stopped uh, uh, responding to him at all and just sent him to a generic call center. Uh, but this really is a metaphor for our future because this is about making sure that, um, you know, they're just going to shut down the things that work. They're going to demand things that have not been tested and aren't ready for the real world. And that is going to be affecting everything that we do, including our food and everything else. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a good day. common man. They created common core to dumb down our children. They created common past to track and control us. Their commons project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. 
They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com